Welcome to episode 91 of the Winning Six podcast, the official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, site expert Adam McGee, and joining me this week is regular guest contributor at the site and podcasting extraordinaire, as I like to refer to, Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. I don't know, do you want to try and beat him as well this week? Do you want to answer half of your questions in an Australian accent? That that sounds good, good mate. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll opt against that one. Okay. Uh, Tim will be back with us too, and I'm sure to spare you from Jordan trying to do more Australian accents. But for this Unless one, if it's a hit. Well, let's not encourage that either. I don't know. I'm not sure if even you want to encourage that. Uh, uh, this week, though, it's business as usual. The Overliables. Jordan and I. We're going to talk about something this week that we briefly kind of touched on with Tim last week. And it's probably a podcast that's been coming from us for quite a while. And to be honest, the timing is pretty good because... On a scale of one to outright panic, I feel like we've trended down on this particular topic over the past seven days. So it's better to catch it at a point where we're somewhere in the middle and we can talk a little bit more calm, cool, collected, coherently about it. Clearer minds, clearer hearts. Can't lose. Can't lose. Boom. Of course, what we're referring to is... One Jabari Ali Parker. Am I, am I right, is it? That's it is correct. Ali, isn't it? Right, okay. Jabari Parker's been having a very good season. That in itself shouldn't be a controversial statement, but it might be one that some people would debate. Or even if they don't debate that, something that has been a constant point of discussion among books Twitter recently was, well, what is Jabari or... Is he going to be a superstar? Is he the right player to have alongside Giannis? What really is the ceiling for a group that's centered around Jabari as your number two guy? The answers to all those questions are probably a little complex right now. And personally, I'd say the biggest reason for that is we don't know because we haven't really let enough time pass. (laughs) I think that's a pretty... A pretty major aspect of it. It's still very early to be making those kind of judgments. But seeing as so many people seem to be going down that road or at least wanting to discuss it, we felt it's only right to to get on board and at least talk about it. Isn't that right, Jordan? Yes, 
Yes, I was. You, you've been looking forward to this podcast for a while now, right? In a way. Yes, yes I have. <laughs> I feel like this is the kind of topic that you both really look forward to discussing and also dread discussing. And dread, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> it's it's right, right in the middle for Jordan, somewhat on the fence. What I want to start out with is Jabari Parker in the 2016-17 season. So far as we record this, played 25 games. The books are 13 and 12, above 500. He's averaging 19.4 points, 5.6 rebounds, 2.1 assists, 1.2 steals, while shooting 48.1% from the field and 36.7% from three. Has he improved? Yes. Yes, he has. I will not. I will stop answering questions like that. <laughs> That's okay. The numbers. I broke the rule of three. Well, That's see, it was. It's. It's a difficult one. I. I have to ask it like that because. I'm not convinced that everyone believes he has. Where simply reading the numbers out like that, I mean. I'm not surprised that you replied with just yes, yes, he has because he very clearly has. Uh, for context, like his points are up from 14.1 to 19.4 per game on last year. Rebounds are up from 5.6 or from 5.2 to 5.6. Assists up from 1.7 to 2.1. His overall shooting percentage is down from 49.3 to 48.1, but kind of important in offsetting that his three-point percentage has gone up from 25.7 to 36.7 percent. Basically, what we're talking about here is a guy who is up in almost all categories per game, up in pretty much all categories per 36. It's a very big difference to what we saw from what we say was post-injury Jabari last year. Before we maybe get into some of his biggest areas of improvement... Why, with that kind of jump in his numbers and with the team playing better, why do you feel there is this whole question over what Jabari's ceiling is or whether he's gotten better or whether he's the right player for Giannis? I'd I'd be able to make sense of this, I think, a lot easier if he had stagnated or if we were seeing some sort of drop-off. But when his numbers are up, what do you feel the primary reason for that is hmm um i think there are a few answers i think one the most obvious one is defensively uh and the, I, a lot of the stuff i will say uh sorry if you hear it a second time i did it's gonna be a lot of what i wrote about uh in our recent round table but uh obviously defensively the mistakes that we see the kind of like stop start activity that he kind of has where uh, I can't remember who said this about the Bucks defense last year, but they somewhat, I remember like it being described as like, they think the possession is done. And then all of a sudden someone gets an offensive rebound or uh, well, I guess, I guess that's the way they can really do, but you get an offensive rebound and people are like standing in one place while the other guy just, you know, gets the board, comes in, comes, you know, slams home the score, you know, for easy two points or something. Was that, like that. Was that Zach Lowe? 
It might have been Zach Lowe that said something like that. I can't I, uh, Again, I should probably look these things up before I start talking about this. But It wouldn't be winning six if you did, Jordan. Yeah, that's true. I'm not prepared. Uh, anyway. Um, but I think that, like, that mentality – or not mentality, but how we saw the Bucks defense last year kind of describes Jabari in a nutshell where – he, there are plays where he looks, you know, engaged. Probably the, like the bigger assignment that he goes against, like you know, most recently watching the Bulls games, you see him go against Jimmy Butler just because you know Jimmy Butler. He's one of the best players in the league. You're gonna want to pay a lot of attention to him. All this stuff. Um, you see a better focus and activity, engagement, whatever you want to call it, on that on the floor where. Obviously, like help side stuff, rotations, all this stuff like that is far from a you know even passable uh, uh, you know part of his game at this point. So defensively, that's the biggest you know ax not ax to grade, but uh, talking point about what he can do fit wise. I think other stuff that it doesn't get necessarily the same kind of uh shine or uh it doesn't it doesn't get talked about as nearly enough but like you know he's kind of steady with his rebounding numbers but they're still for a guy like at his size at his position they're still pretty you know pedestrian probably below average if we're being honest you know the fact that a lot of i think this season a lot of we're seeing you know really consistent scoring games or you know scoring 30 points having really efficient night from the field, but what is he adding in outside of that is a lot of those nights are coming with like, you know, five boards or even sometimes like three boards like that. I feel like that number is like sticking out even more. So uh, with each passing game where he, it, it feels like he's in the same, he's in the right position, but some, sometimes the balance doesn't go his way. There's got, you know, he's in a crowd of, say next to Giannis or Monroe or even Henson and you know it doesn't fall his way I think that's I, again I think rebounding it's very fluid I mean a guy like Avery Bradley this year is rebounding at crazy numbers from especially from like historically at a point where he was rebounding like you know two boards a game or something like that like I still think I don't think this is saying anything about like the rest of his career as a rebounder or anything like that, but like things could change pretty quickly if, you know, more experienced, more comfortable. Obviously I think that's where something like his injury comes in too. Like if he's already plays very physical, going for a board and, you know, going like just running into bodies, jumping in the air to grab these like, you know, spectacular rebounds, which we have seen before, I think, you know, I, I maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think it's easy to see. Like you can think, overthink about it, and not want to put that toll on your body just yet. Um, I think too. Last thing, like he has the makings of, of a really good playmaker, at least personally. And it's still, it's this is more so on his role or what's being asked of or opportunities. I still think he is. He's it's fairly consistent. I mean, the fact that like we're talking about like these great closing out games situations where he stands out and he's 
you know, the game against the Nets, second game of the year, where he's not necessarily a sister or anything like that, but it's still him initiating plays or even uh, what was it, the Spurs game where he grabs a board. He it looks like he's about to go up for a score. He dishes out to Monroe. Bucks made it like a one-point game or something like that or took the lead. Um, I, I just think for him, I, I think it's just, you know, he's it's his third year. We never, didn't necessarily see the same thing with Giannis until, you know, halfway through the season last year. I'm not putting him on that scale necessarily, but I'm just saying I think a guy like him who obviously has a rookie season got short or cut short, I think more experience he gets, more times he'll, you know, have the ball to operate. He's already having higher usage, obviously, with Milton out and less turnovers, which is uh, one thing that I think is positive or less turnover percentage. Um, but uh, I think that is something we'll eventually come, you know, see over time. But again, these, it, I think at this point, the talk about Jabari and as I might have, I think I talked about earlier, uh, or not earlier, but last week in that, the question that we got, it's kind of funny how him and Wiggins or maybe even a few other, you know, uh, players in his draft class, they kind of get this really, you know, critical eye from not just, you know, teams or fans of the team or just national, you know, voices, media voices or anything like that. Like people just, you know, immersed into NBA in, into the league and stuff like that. It's it's just funny how like it they kind of, like when you're talking about Andrew Wiggins and just like how far along or he is on defense and what what else is he doing outside of scoring and whatever it is. I don't know. It's kind of funny how I, I think a lot of that stuff is you could say about Jabari, honestly. And I don't think that's a, necessarily that's not necessarily a bad thing for both of them, but I think at this point, it's just funny how this, you know, these guys are heralded as these next coming of, you know, future stars in the league. And I mean, you're t- you were talking; they were the next coming of, like LeBron, Melo, KD, coming up to that draft. These were this was the next. These were the two next elite wings to come into the league. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's quickly turned, and obviously the the foundation of their team are, is totally different compared to when they first came into the league, but just how people view them personally. And uh, obviously with Twitter and Vine and all this stuff, like you can dissect like little plays. I know we all see stuff like this. We, we'll um, get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's yeah. it. I'll, I'll yeah, say that. I, I think that's a, that's an important part of assessing Jabari. Um, there's a lot to unpack there, Jordan. Thanks for that. I'm going to have to try and remember all of the different <laughs> Um, first off, was on his defense, his defense has also improved and improved. I mean, a pretty sizable amount this year. I don't, no one talks about that. It's like people like to talk about he's bad on defense. That's not breaking news. I mean, he is bad on defense, he's less bad this year than he was last year, and I think that applies in terms of his effort. You can see that, uh, particularly say in his steals numbers. If you if you want to judge it in that way, he's up from one steal last year to one point three steals this year. 
Uh, that's per 36 as well. You want to dig deeper on that defensive rating. This year he's got a defensive rating, which is not good. It's among one of the worst on the team at 105.1. But that is better than where he was at 106.5 last year. I understand an easy way to sort of counter that is to say, well, the books are a better defensive team by a long way this year than they were last year. I do think there are factors that play into that, though, that you'd have to look at a little bit more closely. Like, in particular, without Chris Middleton, Giannis is definitely the book's best defender, or at least their most impactful defender. Mm-hmm. And when Kid does decide to stagger, I mean, him and Jabari will spend more time apart than most other guys. So I think that also factors in. He may not always get the kind of Yanis boost that some other guys will get. For me, I'm at a point where I I don't care that much about Jabari being a bad defender. It kind of, I see this, I see these vines that you touched on. I suppose let's do this now. Vine is great for highlights. It's great for capturing a dunk or some really nice ball movement or an emphatic block. It's not a useful tool when it comes to nitpicking at a player's game or trying to trying to use one six second clip as something that defines a player's effort or his game. And I, I think this has been a really big issue for Bucks fans this year is letting a Vine or a short video where Jabari looks completely clueless. I wouldn't debate that. I don't have a specific example to give you here because they're, they're countless. I mean, if you want to find one or two a game, you will find them. He's a bad defender. And for me, it comes down to awareness more than anything else. So if you want to find clips of Jabari looking lost, you will. The problem is that when that gets constantly sort of put out there as representative of, oh, look at how lost Jabari is here, that becomes kind of the entirety of his defensive identity. And for me, the biggest issue I have, and this isn't about pro-Jabari, anti-Jabari, I think we'll both like to be clear on that. There's These, these are terms that now get bandied about on books Twitter. Um, I'll be honest, I think Jabari Parker is my favorite, my favorite person on this books team. I really like Jabari the guy. I want to root for him. I would by no means ever describe myself as pro-Jabari or anti-Jabari. I just kind of wanted to look at the situation from a more measured. Let's stand back and take stock of this, take stock of where everyone's at, and go from there with it. But if you want to take it as, you know what, look at that, look at that one play, look at how bad he is. That can feed into a place where it's hard to see any good from what Jabari's doing. Or maybe a better way of putting it is it just it magnifies the problem to something bigger than what it really is. And Wiggins is relevant in this part of the discussion because the big difference between Wiggins and Jabari this year, I think what even what all books fans would give Jabari credit for this year is he's scoring very well. He's doing a great job. He's 
got a wide range of ways in which he could score the ball, and he's doing so pretty efficiently. Andrew Wiggins is outscoring him. He scores more points per game. He doesn't do it quite as efficiently. But the difference is Jabari is scoring those points for a team that are currently above 500 and have always been sort of within range of that this season, where Wiggins is doing that on a really bad team. And I think that's an important distinction. And I I kind of indirectly wrote about this earlier this week, not specifically about Jabari, but the whole sentiment and the questions that so many people want to surround Jabari tied into it. And that is this idea of jumping to conclusions with this team. When we, we have no idea what this team is. And there's no way possible that we could have like definite conclusions on what the Milwaukee books could be going forward. That's not me stating the obvious and saying we can't tell the future. That's talking about when have we ever seen a fully healthy Jabari Parker and a fully healthy Chris Middleton with Yanis for like a full season. We haven't. That's not even to mention when have we ever seen both of those guys fully healthy alongside this version of Yanis. It's mm-hmm. never happened. There's a lot of things that are fluid and constantly evolving and more than evolving, improving within the books. And it's hard to say, oh, well, this can't work or that can't work when you're talking about guys who are showing real talent. Like, personally, I think... I think scoring has been... People's perception of the value of scoring has been diminished. I'm going to call this the Russell Westbrook culture, even though Giannis plays into this a little bit too. The infatuation with the triple-double really is starting to annoy me, we'll say, so I don't have to add anything to censor that bit. It's really starting to annoy me right now because it's completely meaningless. Sure, it looks nice to look at a box score at the end of a game and see a triple-double. But there's no like true line of, oh, if he had a triple-double, I mean, he must have been incredible. He must have done everything right. You can have a triple-double and not play so great, or you can have a triple-double and negatively impact your team. And the whole sort of culture of, I guess, living and dying by do-it-all players, oh, well, he can score, he can rebound, he can assist has taken something away from guys who can just score. And in Jabari's case, it's important that he can score relatively efficiently too. I mean, 40, 48%, I think I said this year, 49% last year, 49% when he was there in his rookie season, just below 49% for the field for his career, which considering he plays some three, even if it's some four, and now the fact that he shoots much more jumpers, not just three pointers, but mid-range jumpers, that's a really good percentage from the field. There's like no sort of easy way to overlook that and say that's not valuable. I think that a great way to put that is Carmelo Anthony was for so long the comparison for Jabari. And I think it's easy to be down on a player like Jabari now because you can look at, say, Melo and say, well... Not only did Melo not win at all, he never even came close. Look at how bad his Knicks teams have been. The difference is having Jabari alongside 
Giannis and Middleton could be like if Melo was the guy who got to pair up with LeBron. And I don't even I don't even know who I'd put as the example of like I don't know who I put as the, the Chris Middleton proxy in that example. I guess I mean you could call him well no you can't call him Chris Bosh. Um yeah I mean, it'd be like I don't know it it could be something as simple you could even bring it down and Middleton is is superior to this but it could be like well what if it was LeBron and Melo who teamed up and they had like a peak Kyle Corver alongside them to space the floor and that's doing a disservice to Middleton and the amount of ways he can create and how good he is as a defender but I think even that kind of level of comparison the idea of having two guys like that and then having someone who is so skilled as as a shooter and a floor spacer that could completely change the way we view Melo or the way Melo's career went and I don't think there's an easy way to say oh well Jabari can't work with Giannis or he can't work with Middleton if I'm being honest I think Jabari might be it might be easier to fit guys in with Jabari than it is with Yanis. In a very general sense. There's no team in the league who can't work with a score. Right? You, you know what I'm saying here? You can fit him in anywhere. If you had a team who had a point guard who was who liked the ball a lot, say if it's the Thunder, right? So say if Tomorrow, Jabari plays for the Thunder. He can fit in pretty seamlessly. He could fit in in a team where you have a Mike Conley-style point guard or Russell Westbrook. He could fit in with Matthew Delavadova, someone who isn't up in that tier and is kind of unselfish. They're going to facilitate. He can, he can work with all of that. On the other hand, you have a guy like Giannis, who is a superior all-around player. But his fit is always going to be more specific because you don't want him with, say, a point guard who hogs the ball because you're not going to get the best out of Giannis then. Michael Carter-Williams was the perfect... <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> right? So I actually don't know if it's hard to fit Jabari Parker into your team. And particularly when we talk about concerns with his defense... This year, the books have managed to negate that, where even if his own defensive numbers, they don't particularly stand out. Let me see exactly where the books are at right now in terms of defense. They're like eighth in defensive rating. I mean, if they're a top 10 defense, and that's without Chris Middleton, where is the issue? It doesn't really matter. He can be a bad defender who lets one or two go whenever. It's not really costing them anything because what he's doing on the other end of the floor is pretty much outweighing that yeah I, I don't i just don't get the the reason why we question it right now i don't i don't see the reason why i mentioned this last week i feel uh i mentioned this last week i think i did i i definitely then wrote about it in the piece i wrote i can't remember what it was called but it was about patience which patience I'm gonna warn you. Perils of being good. The perils, bad. perils of being young, yeah, or, yeah. bad, <laughs> young all once. Um, They're gonna grow bigger. Yeah. Um, 
I also wrote about it there, though, where I understand why Yanis Fever has understandably swept the fan base, swept everyone around the books. At the same time, we can't hold everyone to Yanis' standards because the reason he's special to begin with is that's not really a fair thing to do. Mm. You know what I mean? If if you could find other guys where you could then compare them to him and he's, he's not as special as he is to begin with. And I feel whether it's consciously or subconsciously, there is an element of, well, Yanis is developing at this rate or he's at this point now. So why is your bar? Why can't you bury the fan? Yanis is averaging over two steals and two blocks and he's scoring over 20 points with whatever many rebounds, whatever many assists. That, it might be something that consciously is going on in the minds of Bucks fans, but I think that factors into how Jabari is being perceived. And that's irrational. It might be understandable, but it's not rational. If Jabari was on a different team, if Jabari was, if the Bucks weren't lucky enough to have had their 15th overall pick turn into an absolute superstar who could be one of the very best players in the league for years to come. No one talks about Jabari's defense. If, t- if you think like on a team like the Sixers, if Jabari was there doing what he's doing, he'd be scoring more points. He wouldn't have a Yanis beside him. And I think something that stands out for me always is, particularly this season, when other broadcasting teams talk about Jabari in game, when writers that cover other teams or national writers talk about Jabari, their opinion of him is so much more positive than the opinion within the books community seems to be. Mm-hmm. And I think they see the improvement more than anything too. Like we can talk Wiggins and Wiggins gets Wiggins get slated from all angles. Yeah, like the what the ringer uh, just using it as, as a recent example, uh, was it Kevin O'Connor? If, or... if it was NBA on the ringer, I, I, he definitely writes the most often. Yeah, but just talking about how Andrew Wiggins is this gifted player, gifted scorer, all this stuff, but you know, obviously advanced metrics uh, doesn't align with that, and so therefore this opinion of him is just Especially for a number one overall pick, who I mean, I, I don't know. I, that's a going off a different tangent, but but there is there's even something there though to what he was built to be out of college, as opposed to what Jabari was, because I remember, I remember the hype of this draft class, and I I don't watch college basketball unless it really matters to me. And at that time, I wasn't even writing with the books. It it didn't matter to me. But I remember sort of going all in, watching tons of video on everyone before that draft to do a mock draft. I guess it would have been a, a hoops hub. Mock draft with Jay Reinhold. Sorry. It would have been at hoops hub at the time. Um, I remember spending the best part of a week watching video on guys, looking at all the numbers, putting it together. And Jabari at that time was maybe rebounding aside maybe he was he was projected to be a slightly better rebounder yeah otherwise he's exactly what he was supposed to be exactly which 
considering he tore his ACL the time between now and then, is incredible. Completely unbelievable. I don't I don't know if that's been trivialized a little as well. The fact that he's in his third season, has torn his ACL that time, and he's I feel he's gonna average over 20 points by the time the season's done. That is insane. That's like it's completely crazy. And if we we're talking about what Yanis is now, okay, we can say Yanis kicked on post All Star break last year, but he wasn't this guy. He couldn't score like he can now. He was not this player, and that was his third season. This is Jabari's third season. So who's to say that Jabari's fourth season couldn't see another jump again? And all of that boils down to me. But where's the rush in all of this? What? Why would the books be making moves? Where where do people think this team really is? What do they think a timeline to win or to be a contender, to win a championship really is? I've said this before, said it way back, and we might get to some of the, I guess, talk about trading in more specifically now. But that idea to me, and I'd like to remind at this point, I'm not a books fan. I I care a lot about the team. I've a lot of affection for the team because I spend way too much time than any non-books fan should spend writing, talking, thinking about this team. But in a way, I'm somewhat detached. And I I can only see trading Jabari for whatever seems like a great idea at the time only ends in misery and continues the misery that has gone on for over 25 years. And if we're only calling it 25 years... Well, then that's the misery that still didn't involve winning. So <laughs> if Bucks fans ever want a chance of winning a championship and they want that to be like sometime in the next 20 years, you don't have this sort of confluence of, of different guys and factors, like getting Chris Middleton as a throwaway piece in a trade, who was a second rounder who turns out to be as good as he is, getting Yanis at 15 overall, and him being a potential league changer. Like, the best case trading, scenario... Trading Tyler Ennis for Michael Beasley. I mean, yeah, yeah, these okay. moves... Taking all momentum they, out of my uh... point. <laughs> Basically, if you could have told books fans when Jabari was drafted that day, I don't know, he was he... That was a weird... I wasn't... Once again, I wasn't covering the books, but I remember watching that press conference live. Was he in, like, a shopping mall or somewhere? Yeah, the Milwaukee Public Market. That was weird. It was a weird setting for that. It was... I know Drew was there, too. I remember it. That's why I specifically remember it. <laughs> um, that sort of derailed me there. Oh, yeah. If you would have told that time when he's in the Milwaukee Public Market and you say... You just ta- tap, tap the guy... <laughs> tap the guy... In front of you on the shoulder, and you whisper, Jabari's going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer, and he might be the third-best player on this team. That would have been the biggest cause for excitement ever. I'd be like, wow, the books are going to be great. Where now it's like... Come loose. They've got to trade him. I mean, <laughs> 20 points per game, he's, he's not a good defender. It's really... I. I think there's so much more nuance to the whole thing. Like just saying, oh, Jabari, good on offense, bad on defense. 
if you're not good at both, that's it. That's I feel there's an element of that that has taken over. And I'm not for one moment glossing over his how bad he is defensively, as I don't think you would either. But I just think it's not the be all and end all at the moment. In spite of what his net rating might show, which let's be honest, is a figure that's influenced by other guys around him as well. It's not fully within his control. It'd be very hard to say that. But Yabari, how does he play next to Giannis? Let's. I mean, I'm joking. I mean, that's. Uh, sorry, but, I keep doing. No, let's do that. Let's do that because that's that comes up all the time. I'll let you go first because I've been talking for probably like twenty minutes now. But how does he play next? When you see Jabari and Giannis together. What do you see? How do you? What do you see that makes you say it doesn't work? Um. Well, I, I mean, I. It, it's funny because I'm going to answer this question, but it's going to be like this broad and try to touch upon like what it, all of the stuff that you said because it's it's funny. Like, uh, and obviously, I would assume a lot of people that listen to this listen to like the Bucks, and obviously this. Conversation with uh, Matt Moore of CBS Sports touched about this, you know, a lot in that podcast, which I, you know, I really enjoyed in hearing and all this stuff. But it's just funny how uh, um, this, I, like you said, like Giannis is this all-around force of a player where, you know, I got we had you know small criticisms of him last year. Defensively, obviously, shooting uh, wise was, was there, there, you know, to scoring wise, all this stuff. And now seeing him blossom into this, you know, literally he could just do pretty much anything on the floor. And, you know, a game like uh, searching for examples right now, but like, say if he doesn't have like this greatest scoring game where he doesn't get a triple double or, you know, it's more of a quiet night for him. He's still making impacts in ways that are not going to be shown in any box score line. And maybe it's something like plus minus or whatever, but the fact that he helps every person on the floor next alongside him is, you know, obviously huge for him, huge for the team, huge in his development uh, and all this stuff where, like you said, I think this base point of trying to compare him to, or trying to compare Jabari next to him, or his development, or this fit, or questions of fit, or whatever else is being thrown out there, it's really, it is really unfair to like put this. I, I don't know this. Uh, I can't think of the right word for it, but it's, it just feels really kind of... It's ex- it's expectation. The expectation is weighted by what Yanis can do. Yeah. And I just think, I think it too, like, maybe, maybe this whole discussion, I think a lot of it, this the idea of fit, I just think it's really, it's really, I know that's like becoming like a really big topic about how teams are built. Obviously, team building now in the NBA is such a big, important discussion point because... There are different ways to go about it. Obviously, there are different examples, different teams, and all this stuff. And just last year, the Bucks are a perfect example of they thinking or them thinking that they have a uh, template for success. All we talked I about mean, last year was fit. Yes, exactly. Yes. So 
guys like you know Greg Monroe, like Carl Williams, uh, even I you know even the obviously Jabari Giannis Middleton and just who gets the ball last when it's you know there's five, four seconds on the shot clock or four seconds in the game and they're down by three. Who who should get the ball or stuff like stuff like this like it all seeps into this fit question. How can there's one ball to divide up four five players and you know like the Golden State Warriors base uh, or plan of you know building their team. There's one ball between these three offensive forces and a guy that like Draymond Green who can you know pass rebound score. As well as those, Zaza for Julia. I mean, it just it's like this topic of team building and fit, all this stuff. It's so prevalent in how people go about it, or you know, how teams go about it and stuff like that. That I think it's gonna it's getting to the point where, in this example, like with Jabari with the Bucks, Giannis, and all that stuff, it just it feels so. It just seems really unnecessary for a team. We're talking about a team that is thirteen and twelve right now. Their two youngest players are 22 and 21. Without their, you know, most well counted players. Just when you say 22, uh, like a week turned 22. Basically two 21-year-olds. Fresh off being 22. Jabari isn't 22 until March. Mm -hmm. And it's his... What was crazy when, again, to reference to the roundtable, I just wanted to... I, I forgot the number in my head about how many games he's played. He's played a year and a half of basketball. And one is uh, his first 25 games were a rookie. He's 122 games now total. Yes. And half of the la- last year, even more so, was post-injury. I mean, obviously post-injury since then, but coming to grips about that, coming even – recovery. Recovery coming even further. Remember, like the rumors of him coming back uh, in January. He came back, what the fourth game of the year. Yeah. I mean, all these. It's just he funny also, how. At one point, remember? Yes. Oh, I, I distinctly remember that. Um, it's just funny how, like, I just think maybe it speaks to Bucks fandom and this. Obviously, very tor- recently tortured uh, fan base, having only one season, winning one winning season in the last like twenty five years. Uh, countless and countless of draft picks, not even just flaming out, but just not even like really like making impact just at all. Yeah, I mean like guy like Brandon Jennings who you know has a fifty five point score. Bra- Brandon, hold on a minute, but I I just want to because this is something I kind of touched on. You say Brandon Jennings. Brandon Knight comes to my favorite. Remember Brandon Knight Mania? Remember that? The guy uh, yes. has the worst net rating in the entire NBA right now. Yep. He's gonna be he's gonna be traded again if they can find someone to take him. He Brandon Knight probably ends up in China sometime in the next few years. I feel like that is like that's a big example of just how crazy a lot of this is. That season, Brandon Knight's play, where you know Brandon Knight, he was close to being an All Star. He should have been uh, an All Star over Kyle Cover. Well, that that season, yeah, over Kyle Cover in a year where the Hawks won sixty games and the yeah. Bucks won forty one. Forty one, perfectly hold, average. <laughs> we hold that season to a standard. It's like, oh, two years yes. ago, two years ago, the way things were, you know, Dudley, Ilya Sobov, <laughs> and we're we're guilty of this. We do this. 
But that's yeah. because that was so great compared to last year. There's a real problem that comes in, though, when that is your recent high mark. That is your bar. You're, you're working off of, oh, remember the heady days of 500 for a season. And then yet, when you're trying to build something real, you're like, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe Jabari's not right here. That, that says you have no experience of what a good team is like. So it's like, you know, we might be onto something now. We better, we better do something to make sure it Let's is. Let's trade good. for that Brooklyn pick. Let's trade for Jay Crowder, who's, I mean, I, he's a fine player. No, no offense to Jay Crowder, but stuff he, his defense does not make up for That's, what. That is, that is insane. That is like, yeah, his defense. Then the books can't score. Like the books cannot exactly. score. He hits maybe one out of three threes if we're being lucky. Maybe books, it's a little higher the this year. It looks like the magic. That's I mean, that yeah. is genuinely what happens with that. And I, I even think another important part is you mentioned Giannis plus minus, right? Giannis plus minus is incredible. They only even when the books lose, Giannis is often coming out with positive plus minus. A big part of that and his net rating and everything that goes into this, and a big part of Giannis, the the player, the phenomenon, the experience, right? He is so different to everyone else he matches up against on a nightly basis that they're not just playing Yanis' ability. They're trying to find who do we match this guy up with. I think the Bulls back-to-back was the best example of that. We talked about this. I, I'm pretty sure it was you who said it when we were doing predictions last week. Who guards Yanis in that matchup? And we were like, uh, there's nobody. I mentioned it then in my takeaways for the the second game of the back-to-back in our USA Today uh, photo gallery where we pull our images from pictures of Yanis from that game had him guarded by Cristiano Felicio, Doug McDermott, Paul Zipser, Dwayne Wade. Um, there's, there's a couple of other guys. I'm Butler. No, not Butler. I'm sure it happened, but there's no photographic proof. Uh, <laughs> Basically, you could range through, though, positions like two to five guys who are on the complete opposite ends of the scale in terms of strength, mobility. They literally had no answer. So everyone had a, had a chance to like, oh, well, it's your turn. See if you can do something. That's a big factor in how Yanis is having the effect he's having. And Jabari is what he is, right? Because Jabari is not a Jabari is not a difficult matchup, even if he does incredible offensive things and he's incredibly skilled on that end of the floor, which he is. Finding a guy to match up with Jabari is not difficult. You could say, okay, well, we'll let him get twenty. We'll let him get twenty-five. That's fine, but he's not gonna run the entire game because we'll have someone who can at least keep him in check. The biggest problem that teams around the league are having with Yanis is. It's not just his ability. He isn't actually as good as his numbers are suggesting he is. I think that's fair. I think that's probably something Buxan's a freak out over. But if we're looking at skill, ability, and like in a really precise way, that isn't what is leading to these insane numbers. It's the fact that he has significant levels of both of those things. And on top of that, no team has a guy they can comfortably match up with him where they can negate the levels of ability he has. And we'll learn some more about this this week, but LeBron has been the prime example of this. 
because in a lot of ways LeBron should be a good matchup and yet Giannis is outscoring him and really playing very well every time he comes up against them there's so much more to it it's just we're in a sort of strange vacuum now or the potential we were hoping for and I think that everyone was still sort of expecting because if you didn't expect it the last it would definitely last year would have been completely miserable but that's starting to come to some form of fruition and it's kind of like Yanis is at a level now where could Yanis be the best player right now on like a top level contender with the heavy playing right now yeah he probably could if his second and third option were good enough and it feels like the pressure is now piled on well Yanis is there everyone else needs to get there now when it's not quite how it works when he's older than Jabari not by much but he is he's been in the league longer he's had more experience too I mean right when the when Jabari went down in the the greatest season of the last 10 years I don't know no no there, <laughs> was, that, went, there was the the, oh, the fear of deer, yeah, sorry. yeah. making a joke but it is somewhat true the, we don't well don't make a joke at the expense of the even headier days of Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis <laughs> um but yeah when Jabari went down it was the Giannis was on a that I mean that how that team played for the majority of the that year was so fundamentally different to how they play now and Giannis had really good games there would also be games where he completely disappeared but the fact that he had experience and knowing like what it is to be out in the play in the playoffs or even going, you know, uh, having like a big game against like Anthony Davis or something like that. Like that was still, that's still more than enough times than like what Jabari has had. And so trying to compare them, even though they're, you know, a year apart, there are different circumstances in how they have, you know, their careers have gone in the NBA so far. And obviously, expectations coming into the NBA, they could not have been farther from each other. You know what I mean? Giannis being this project, this guy, you know, obviously different. His first season was pretty, I mean, that was a the worst season in team history. And then Jabari comes, or the product of that is Jabari, who's this heralded prospect, this winner throughout high school, uh, you know, gifted. All, I mean, all this stuff like, it's just funny how uh, it just it it's flipped on itself, and then now Jabari's everyone's well. Why aren't you matching up with it? And it's I think again going back to the fit thing and just team structure and all this stuff. The reason why it just I, I've grown really tired of it. Just not after last year, just because last year was just so uh, that was such a long yeah. Anyway, but just the fact that like we talk about like. Team building. What was what, were, what was the most talked about thing about the Cavs last year? Wasn't that, it wasn't about David Blatt being fired? It's Kevin Love. It was about how does Kevin Love fit next to LeBron and Kyrie? He's just you know all star level player in Minnesota. Jordan, they, they they were telling us at the time these talking heads that there was no way that could ever work out. No way. There's was, no way they're gonna trade them. They're gonna. How could the Warriors they may, ever, made, they may have made it to another finals, but they're gonna, tr you know, start listening to offers. How could the Warriors lose to a Kevin Love, Cleveland Cavaliers team? Not possible. Yeah, and it turns out, yeah, I mean, he 
I'm not saying this. Well, maybe it is no, part of the reason why. You don't need to. I know what you're, you're going to mention the play. Don't mention the play. Um, <laughs> but but, but they, they forget that they won the title. Compare Kevin Love last year to Kevin Love this year. Exactly. Yeah. Just just for added comfort in his surroundings. Yes. He's not even a young guy. It's not like he's, he's learning older. the game. He, it's he's not. It's not like he's developing. But the system. I guess probably both. The system has started to shape a little bit more around his skills and he has learned what he needs to do to help LeBron, to help Kyrie, to even help like guys like J.R. Smith or whatever. Mm-hmm. That takes time. That's like a team learning each other. The Warriors are a great example of that. This Warriors team really came out of nowhere. Let's not... People forget that. It's not like these guys just suddenly came together. Clay, Steph, Draymond, they were there for a while. And it took time for them not only to improve, but to get to a level where everything is sort of just reactionary as it is. And I think the the Warriors is a, a good example for this because I think something else that gets lost in any sort of Jabari discussion, and it, once again, in part because of what Yanis has become, is to be a winning team, you don't need like two or three guys on the exact same level. So if Giannis is good enough to be your top dog, which it seems like he is, if he's a guy who could be an MVP or at least an MVP contender for years to come, you're not looking for another MVP contender. I mean, obviously, if you have another one of them, well, that's great. Let's plan the parade. But that's not that's not how it works. You're looking for a guy, if he's a potential all-time great player, I'm saying potential, obviously that's a big thing, but in terms of tiers, if he's a potential all-time great player, if you could find a great within his own era and then a really sort of very, very good player to pair alongside him, you're going to win championships. You're going to go really close. Steph is what Steph is. Clay didn't have to be the same. And I I think there is an element to that where it's like, let Jabari beat Jabari. I mean, there there is really nothing wrong with what he is. There are lots of teams who would love to have it. And I say lots of teams. Uh, the books are one. There is no there is no sense of the books losing fate in Jabari or wanting to shop Jabari. This is one of the most fascinating things with this. Normally, when something like this comes about with a player, like Kevin Love, there are some whispers, at least, that you know they might be open to trading him or there's real discontent within the team, uh, like with the Cavs, basically, that the Cavs aren't Kevin Love's friend. They're not going to dinner together. You know, There's, there's always some spark. <laughs> He's photoshopping his face <laughs> in an Instagram post. Yeah, I mean, like, stuff like that. Like, that is just, in this day and age, like, that stuff gets blown up because of good reason. There's there's context for it, and it's like, oh, what does this mean? What is this endless magnifying glass? The you know way of we how we look at everything. Uh, I think a lot of that that is what feeds into it. And obviously, I'm not comparing Jabari being this Kevin Love figure or the Bucks being this Cleveland Cavalier type. Uh, I mean, obviously the archetype of Giannis and LeBron, there's some similarities, but 
I'm not predicting anything like that. I'm just saying. There are, let's be honest. There are even some similarities between Kevin Love and Jabari. Yeah, that's true. Offensive guys, basically not known for defense at all. Defense. Obviously, Love is bigger, so he's he has been a better rebounder. Um, Historically, better three point shooter. But obviously... there are there are strong parallels. I mean, if Middleton was a point guard, you'd the dynamic of the Cavs and the books would be very similar. Uh, so I don't, I'm not saying like this is like going to be this you know future success or anything like that, or winning a championship over this, you know, this team that goes over, you know, 73 and nine or 74 and eight or whatever, you know, wins the finals in like this weird, like unprecedented way or anything like that. But like, I just think the topic of team building and uh, obviously asset collection, because obviously that is a huge talking point in Bucks in our recent history with the Bucks. Um, Again, I just think that it really gets blown out of proportion and to the point where, as you mentioned, you know, this team is going 13 and 12. And when that's, that's a better pace than their all time 41 41 season. And that is true, yeah. In 2014, you know, I mean, it's one, it's a game above 500. So, <laughs> um, but. It just it it just a lot of it just reeks of I know it's glossed over as this this fit issue or uh, projection issue of well Jabari's not gonna be in the, the level of Giannis so cut not cut your losses while you're ahead but just sell high get waking it now and you have a winner like you said before I, I sure there there are definite things that are concerns. And obviously this is a big year with, you know, what do you do about his rookie extension? We have no idea what that could be. Obviously with the new CBA. You pay him. Well, you pay him, but I'm just saying like, what figure is that with the new CBA? We'll have more details about what it is. I I think you'll pay him and you'll pay him near his max. Honestly, I, if not, I, and I don't think I say near his max because I think you would be paying him as max. If not for Yanis taking the discount. Last year, or, or not last year, a couple months ago. Like Yanis taking that discount, uh, he was the guy I don't think. Uh, Jabari taking a discount wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Now, we could be yeah. wrong on that. I mean, maybe Jabari would want more for different reasons. I mean, we see how active Jabari is within his community. Maybe Jabari would want as much money as possible because he has plans for what he wants to do with that. I don't know. All of that stuff is speculation, but I think... I don't think there's even a second thought for the books. Like this, this goes back to what I was saying a second ago, where this is like, this is something that has come out of books fans. It's a feeling from, I guess, concerns from watching him last year and they've carried over and they're being magnified because it's almost like people feel like the timeline has been accelerated when in reality it hasn't at all. No, not at all. The team is at the exact same place it was. Like the plan I mean, this, is, this, the plan this, is like, that by, by the time they're contending, the town maker is good. Like really, yes. In terms of the timeline, that's where we're at, and we're so. He far literally, away. I, I, I think I might have described this before, but I'll say it again. He literally is like the cherry on top. He mm-hmm. is, he is. Uh, I this probably will anger some people with the comparison. And I don't mean it to, but he is like a version of like Bruno Caboclo. Bruno Caboclo was I mean, two years away from me, two years away. Ha ha. That's you know all this joke. 
but it was the Raptors after a season where they were very on the verge of blowing everything out. They're going to trade Kyle Lowry. They were who knows where DeMar DeRozan would be right now. Uh, and actually, I think they're another team that's interesting in how this the whole fit issue has been about where DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are very two distinctive players where DeMar DeRozan's this product of, you know, this old NBA or, or I guess this not dying NBA. The scorer. Whatever, the like, scorer again. He's a scorer and he doesn't really do anything else. And yeah. <laughs> what he does best in scoring is not in vogue to what is going on in the NBA right now. Right. And Kyle Lowry is this all-around player who, again, makes impacts in different ways when he's not having the this, you know, 30.9 or whatever like that, or even getting triple doubles, which he can do. He's still making waves to, uh, you know, win games. He's still doing it when it's, you know, his score is – or his box score line is 16-5-5. Five and five. Where Bruno Caboclo, when he was drafted on this stuff, like it is a, you know, it is an investment that you're not going to see a return for a very long period of time. And you're going to have to probably, there, I mean, his, his contract, he says, is going to be next year too, with along with Jabari. Yeah, you have well, no idea who that player is. I mean, Bruno, no one else is paying him, so they can get him for like, for nothing. Well, it's cheap, but it's also, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you're still giving these, this guy that, Who's, yeah, but the, I, I know what you're saying because that was well. If everything pans out and what we have now becomes something that's sustainable, we're not building a team around Bruno Caboclo. We're adding him to Larry and the Rosen, and even Valanciunas. So there was a lot more to that. And that that the Rosen one is actually that's a really that's an interesting like comparison for the Jabari situation because the Rosen is a guy who. Without me watching Toronto game in and game out, I I like Tree and D. That's what I like. I've always liked. I think everyone else has come around to this, but that's really what since I started watching the NBA. I like versatile guys, but Tree and D was really my thing. Mm. I like role players. Yeah. (laughs) And I've because of that, DeRozan is a guy I'm not that fond of. I don't like how DeRozan plays. It really it makes my skin crawl. Yet at the same time, particularly when the Bucks play the Raptors, which I joked about this, but it's, it is the worst matchup in the league for whatever reason for the Bucks. The Bucks might as well miss the playoffs if it comes down to a thing where it's either make the playoffs and play the Raptors or miss, just miss the playoffs. It saves us all the pain. But DeRozan, when you watch games like that and you see the things he it doesn't matter that he doesn't shoot trees all that well or that he doesn't do anything else because he just makes tough shot after tough shot and he gives look that team he, look at what he did against the bucks on last week monday i wrote the takeaways so i know that very well He's, he made he, he made it he made an insanely i don't know was it that game or the one before against the books that really late in the game i know terrence ross was doing crazy stuff in one of them that was the game before i think but yeah. the rosen made one of the like most turnaround like rainbows. It was like a turnaround fadeaway too, with two books players in his face. It might have been Yanis and Pumley at the time, and maybe it was Yanis and Henson. But it was just like there, there's no way if you freeze frame that and you're like, look how good that defense is. There's no way that shot's going in, and it goes in, and he that's he just gives his team that. 
and none of it really matters because he gives his team that. And that's what Jabari could be for the books. And where it differs is Yanis is much better than what Kyle Lowry is, or at least he has an opportunity to be more. He's his his ceiling will be realized for a longer period of time than where Kyle Lowry is. Yeah, Lowry Lowry peaked likely. late, pretty much. Exactly, yeah. and his maybe his uh, the synergy of how peaking late, going to the right team, all, you know, having a coach that invested into him because obviously that was a bigger topic of earlier in his career. Um, but yeah, but going back to like how that compares to like or where we are in the situation where. This season where we're doing it's it's going well, it's going higher than we expected. Similarly to how the forty one and forty one win or season went. It just seems like the whole talk in my mind just seems like let's let's capitalize on on you know making this a consistently winning team, but you're also at I, I really don't I mean I'm not You know what that actually I mean, is though. Because we mentioned, okay, but once again, we mentioned a 500 season. Not to make the joke about it. It's, it's like trading Brandon Knight for Mike Exactly. Conway. Exactly. Yeah. It is It is literally making that trade. Um, Not necessarily in terms of contract or anything, even though, yeah, kind of in terms of contract. But I importantly, I think the front office has learned this lesson, and they're not into that sort of thing anymore. They're not going to make any sort of meaningful trade because the team is sort of good because they're in a different place now to then and they've learned how that can backfire and set you back even in your bigger journey a couple of steps. But at the same time, this sort of, oh, we're kind of good now, let's make a trade for the sake of making a trade to take the next step. The books don't need to take the next step. The next step will come to the books if they just come to them, yeah. if they just take the time. Like, it's like trying to run and jump where, you know, if you just keep walking, you're going to get there anyway. You're, we're, we're, there's no rush. It's like we need to be at this place at 6 p.m. If we walk, we'll be there at 6 p.m., but why not run and get there at 5.45? Well, because then you've got to wait for 15 minutes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I don't see the need for it. The one thing I want to, just before we move on from Jabari, once again, I want to stress, this isn't about being pro-Jabari, anti-Jabari, but this is one thing that really gets under my skin and bugs me. Maybe the way Jordan's annoyed by the fit thing. Fit, I just look past because I feel if you're talking about fit this year, you're a year too late with the books because if your three guys are Middleton, Jabari, and Yanis, the two most important positions in terms of fit are point guard and center. And whether right or wrong, the book's made major decisions at those positions last summer for me nothing that anyone says about the books right now annoys me more than saying jabari doesn't care that when you cherry pick a play where he looks completely lost on defense and yeah okay his effort might not be all there to say he doesn't care i I, I honestly don't think there's a guy on this team that cares more about winning and losing than Jabari. And there's more to it than that. There's can be like, if he gets lost in defense and he gets beaten by a guy, or could we say he's giving up on some stuff? Does he give up a little too easy? Does he get, does he put his head down because maybe he's so conscious or he's trying so hard not to be 
this terrible defender. That's definitely a possibility. I just think, look at this guy's body language and the books lose or when things aren't going well. Listen to the things he says. We'll revisit one of them for a mailbag question later and we'll go into something he, even, he said this week. No one, not even Yanis, sees their emotions like hit such highs and lows based on how this team is playing. So don't say Jabari doesn't care. Jabari, like, <laughs> he really lives and breathes for success with this team. And that ties into, we used to always talk about he's this perfect guy, oh, because winner in winner in high school, winner in college, he's a winner, like, the whole way up. He's been in successful programs, whatever. Where that really sort of matters is when you are losing, You're that's when you're really not going to like it. Mm. And I think that's important. I think it's... It's just, it's misguided. It's sort of, I don't know, an easy way out without really talking about anything it's to lazy. say. Yeah, it is lazy. Because it's lazy, but it's not even like there's a basis to it. It's just, well, it's as lazy as picking clips here or there for Jabari's defense. I think Jabari doesn't fit without looking at what he does on the other end or whatever. Jabari may not fit. Um, he may not be all that good as an NBA player. Personally, I don't see that right now, but we have no answer either way unless we just, like, wait and see. And wait and see for, like, the end of this season and next season and maybe another season after that. And the joy of this is Yanis is locked down, right? So Yanis has signed his extension. Starting from next year, you've still got four more years of Yanis. Jabari hasn't even signed his extension yet. The, the timeline is getting closer and closer. Of course, that's literally how time works. But <laughs> there's still quite a bit of a distance for the books to, to travel between that point and where we are now. And for one last time to just touch on that legendary 41 and 41, 500 season, just look at how much stuff and how different the books look the lows they've had, the ups they've had in the time since then. Multiply that by two, and that's how long Yanis will have with the books before anyone else can touch him, starting from next season. And I would, even if the record isn't as good, even if they finish the season below 500, I'd still say they'll be at a much higher base to start that next spell off of than they were at that time. Moving on from Jabari, I can't. I kind of need a kind of need a nap after that section there. If I'm honest, Jordan, let's talk about someone who is not quite as divisive among books fans right now. This is a rookie who is two and a half years older than Jabari Parker. Just were pointing out, uh, but he has hit the ground running. And has made I guess, as big of an impact as we could possibly have hoped for the books. I am, of course, talking about Malcolm Brogdon. Is what we've seen from Malcolm Brogdon so far this season better than what you could possibly have imagined, even as a best-case scenario for him, for his rookie year? 
Um, I mean, I know you were high in him. I, we were all kind of high in him, and I know if anyone went back and listened to our draft night podcast, where I th- did we all? There was some freaking out about Tom Maker. I don't know if I was the guilty party or if I was the voice of reason. I there was definitely uh, between you, Ty, and I. At least one of us was freaking out about Tom Maker. We were all very much on board with getting Malcolm Brogdon at 36, though, and optimistic about what he could be for the team. Yes, for sure. And I think, too, a lot, I think if, if I bring out the podcast again, I think a lot of it probably was a reaction to just how Rashad Vaughn's season went. Because you're just thinking, like, oh, this could be, this is more of the sh- safe bets or the sure thing compared to Vaughn, where even that was a potential play, as crazy as that sounds. <laughs> um, but going back to what we've seen so far, I mean, obviously it's hard not to be impressed with him. Pointing at a position that we did not see this happening at all. I mean, the fact that he's their backup point guard, it's not necessarily about his role either. It's the fact that got players like Tyler Ennis or, you know, obviously MCW is not here anymore. So that opens up a role for him, but the fact that he's doing really well with that, we're seeing improvements. I mean, we are seeing improvements like almost by the game. Three-point shooting has been the best about that. I think now it's at 43%. 42.9, yeah. It's it's insane because I think everyone's forgotten that he really struggled in summer league and at the start of the season. It was was bad. And preseason. The best thing we were talking about his summer league performance is the fact that he had like a eight to – 0.24, 0.24, or it's just a turnover ratio. So something crazy like that in summer league. Yeah, I mean that that in itself is already like great, but but we're like when it comes to shooting, like oh, yeah, he's a really good playmaker. Like you know what I mean? Like we're just like glossing over that. Yeah, the, the potential <laughs> point guard thing was our big takeaway from summer league. Really? Yes, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and the fact that again, he's he's playing with guys that. It's he, he's kind of it's kind of weird where he's playing with. It's it's not like overwhelming or obviously compared to other rookies like Embiid where this you know he's at just this, this crazy rate of like you know usage or just production too. His it's not Malcolm Brogdon like is not going to be rookie of the year or this. Uh, Probably when it's all said and done, he probably won't. He might not be the best player in that the his draft class, but the fact that he's a sure thing. Oh, he made a he made a face. I, he might he be. He might he be. Might, but a lot of it, I think, again coming. Ben's, in, remember, Ben Simmons is out injured as well. But Ben Simmons is out. And Ingram doesn't need to play straight away. But uh, I mean, by the end of the season, I I think he could be. By the end of his career, probably not. Yeah, that's true. Um, but. Again, regardless of how he rack, or stacks up against his, you know, draft class mates or um, or anything like that, the fact that we're seeing improvements from him daily and it's on a right now above 500 team, it's incredibly encouraging. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, that's what it is. Before I say anything serious about Malcolm Brogdon. I want to see how many Malcolm Brogdon nicknames you can name. I already saw this. Damn it. 
I know. Had you, had you come across this one before? I know which one you're saying. That yeah, I, I nearly did a spit see. take in the middle of you talking there because I, I honestly couldn't believe that this is... I, I, I can very clearly see why it's a nickname, but I can't believe that it's a nickname we haven't we haven't got to this before for now to, so to, to talk you are listening through this you might know malcolm brogdon as the president i mean that's that's something that's been out there quite a lot um it's something that we have talked about we've tweeted about um often with trees instead of these and yeah, president, that's known. Uncle Malcolm. That is... Uh, Jordan's shaking his head. That's one I've seen, though. I mean, I think I don't know if that's one that particularly was stronger in his Virginia days. I have seen some of our wealth of Virginia Cavalier fans who now follow us, which there's a lot of them, and they they, they really love Malcolm Brogdon, which is understandable. Welcome to the fan club. Yeah, Brogdon's jersey is being retired. It was announced this week by the Cavaliers mm -hmm. in February. I want to say it's actually during um, the, the All-Star break, probably coming close to the trade deadline. There's one other nickname, though. Humble Moses. I, I, you know, it's funny because I, I feel like that's like a... It's it's not that far off from like Outback Jesus for some reason. Like that was it like the first like It feels like it. It does. <laughs> um, his middle name is Moses, so Moses Adams. If we if we need to, well, why is he humble Moses? We've got we've got Moses. What's your feeling? I mean, this I feel this is a this is a strong. Well, it's just Moses. For... I thought it was Moses Adams. No, I well maybe it is. I thought you were making some joke about no. Something. Um, you maybe you have found an extra nickname somewhere else. Nothing would surprise me, Jordan. But how do you feel about a humble Moses? I feel this is a well, we got we got a problem. We have a problem. Uh, well, okay, what's the problem? The all uh, trustworthy site Wikipedia has his <laughs> name listed as Moses Adams. Middle name, I should say. Does basketball reference normally give three or two middle names, though? I mean, does... Uh, yes, they do. I know for Terrence Ross, two first name Terry, um, he has two, <laughs> two middle names. That's a nickname I'm hoping catches on. <laughs> I've seen you do it a lot, and it cracks me up every time I see it. Ah... Adams is not a middle name. Oh, okay. Adams is his mother's maiden name. Oh. So Malcolm Brogdon's parents are Jan Adams and Mitchell G. Brogdon. Mitchell G. I don't know. <laughs> it's very presidential sounding. It's very, very presidential. Um, Keep so, up the theme. <laughs> yeah, so basically, I mean... Humble Moses. I feel that's a strong contender for the that most have abstract leaps. sort of strangest <laughs> books. The next time he hits a three, next time he hits a three pointer, I know that he's going to be. Oh, there! I was looking for one for so long, and I thought, I thought I'd settled on Commander in Chief. I thought that was it. People liked that, but 
people like these things and then they don't like them after a little while. There are other ones that apply for that. Uh, but yeah, maybe Humble Moses. Outside of winning six listeners, that one might just might confuse some people. But yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll get an airing. So back to away from the important business of nicknames, middle names, all of that good stuff. Where a couple of weeks ago, I feel we had this kind of thing with Yanis, where there was a lot of there was a lot of Yanis in the news, whether it was local, national, whether it was newspapers, blogs, basically there was Yanis every day. And I, I did the notice these things in particular from doing the the daily pieces. Brogdon has been that guy in the last week. As I mentioned, he's getting his jersey retired. I want to say he's the fifth player to have his jersey retired by Virginia. Um, he, or else he was also mentioned. It was Anant Pandian of um, CBS Sports did a piece on, I guess it was like rookie rankings, where he highlighted Brogdon earlier in the week. Um, we had Kevin O'Connor at the Ringer. He was ranking rookies by position early on too. I know that's the most recent one, but he was like, "Oh yeah, he's he's been on that one for a while." Um, he was on that one at Summer League. After Summer League, there was some piece on it. Actually, that was Jonathan Jonathan Sharks, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. so the ringer being all over Brogdon, but specifically in the last week, there was one on rookies by position where Brogdon got a mention. He was actually he was number one on the list, which I in my own head like to pretend had nothing to do with point guard or anything like that it was just a ranking um then there was there was a great piece on brogdon from jack maloney over at the step back and then most recently uh laurie nickel of the journal sentinel had kind of a profile on a lot of the off the court stuff we've heard about read about but i guess hasn't really been spoken about so much since he's become a book I don't did did you read that or did you maybe a more press question? Did you see the the video part of that interview that came with it? I don't think I saw the video. There's a I think what is it public policy? I think his his degree or actually he's a master's, isn't he? I think he's a master's in public policy. Yeah. Um, so it shouldn't sort of be surprising. But there's something really striking about like when he's asked about things away from basketball, when he is asked about like global hunger and the way he speaks about that is it's insane. It's so sort of powerful and impressive for an NBA player. Never mind a 24-year-old NBA player at that as well. Mm-hmm. In his own way, Brogdon is as unique as anyone on this roster. And there is a kind of, I think everyone's been hard on the books front office in recent years for a variety of decisions, particularly from last season and heading into the off season before that. Lots of things that they, they gambled, they gambled pretty hard on and that basically all of them backfired, right? Mm. This summer, they haven't really got the credit they deserved for, what was almost a home run. I think that's in part because of just how bad the plum thing has gone, that 
it's kind of overshadowed a lot of the work, which, I mean, when you pile up cumulatively, if you put Delhi, Toledovic, um, there's another free agent, wasn't there? I'm going to get into that in a minute. Delhi, Toledovic. Terry. Yeah, I guess Terry, and definitely his leadership has been, it's, it's actually been a visible leadership, even if his on-court play hasn't necessarily been that special. Um, Delhi, Toledovic, Terry, then the trades for Beasley and Snell, which are two trades, I mean, the books could not have won by a wider margin right now. Mm-hmm. And I, let's be honest, those trades are not coming back. Like it's not, they're not swim, swinging back in a way where by the end of the season, we're like yeah, the books didn't win those trades. MCW is a free agent by the summer, and his time is already sort of ticking down. Ennis Ennis's option had declined too. Does he? Does Ennis even exist anymore? I don't know. Um, and then to cap that off, you get Brogdon at thirty six. And Brogdon at 36 almost makes it easier to justify Ton at 10 as well. Like, you've yeah. got this guy right now. As you said, that was something even on draft night we could see. Well, at least if they're taking this swing for defenses at 10 and they're going with a guy who, if he is good, he won't be good for a number of years, they've got someone who should be able to contribute straight away. And Brogdon has become that guy. If you were to rank players on the books roster in terms of importance longer term right now where do you put Brogdon on we can do it by process of elimination so obviously he is not at Yanis Jabari Middleton level yes. he is Probably not at John Henson level because Henson still has lots of time in his contract and lots of money tied up in him. You can Ooh, we're, all, we're already debating. Well, th- that's kind of where I'm going. So, outside of those three guys, are there a ton of players more important long term to the books right now than him? I w- I would probably say Thon. Just because, it, it again, this gets back to though: is Ton, is Ton actually important to the books, or is he really the icing on the cake? Like, I feel Brogdon is more important because they need what Brogdon already is and what he's going to be. If Ton becomes what we hope Ton could be, and what he does show flashes, to be fair to him, of being capable of, if he becomes that, I mean, then the books could be. He could be the piece that completely t- tips them over the edge where they're a force that no one has an answer for. He's like the ace in the hole. But Brogdon is... what Like, what Brogdon is, Brogdon is. And I feel like they may need that more. Do you, does it, do you kind of get what I'm saying? Like, they no, could... Yeah, like, just having... They could hit base. their ceiling without Tom. If Tom did, doesn't work out and Yanis, Jabari, Middleton work out, they could still go on and win a championship, contend for championship, whatever Beasley. way you want to put it. Beasley, okay, we'll just say Beasley. Come on, it's for fun. He's going to be playing somewhere else next year, Jordan. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not even joking. I'm hoping that's not the case, but that's, well, it depends it's very, what, yeah, it's very depends what anyway. the cost on that is. But 
outside of those three, I don't know. For that reason, I feel they really need what he brings. Yeah, it, it's funny because I think when you talk about like a guy like Brogdon, I don't think he. I mean, just again, obviously, we're comparing to other players of the roster, but just let's focus on him compared to Delhi. I wouldn't say there's like one standout thing he does better than Delhi, if that's fair to say. Like, uh, there, I, don't, I think he defends better. Well, I thought that was what I was gonna say. I think. He is the he has the advantage of being a more prototypical basketball player, like in like how he's built. Delhi is a product of this guy. I know this, this is gonna go into cliche fest, cliche carousel. Get a, oh, get a the, for, we have listeners who are like turning up the he, volume right now. For this but he has played above his head or his uh, head. I mean, he's undrafted. He's scraped um, for teams. He made it to the Cavaliers based on, like, you know, uh, was it training app tryout or some, something like that? Made it I, on, I can't believe. I thought we I basically, were. I, 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 thought we were the podcast, to, I thought we were the podcast that knew enough about Delhi not to resort to calling him scrappy and gritty and it, his perseverance to make it to this point. I thought we were past that. I was basically just gonna like recite his voiceover and his shoe commercial. Uh, I actually, I haven't, I haven't watched that yet. I need to, I need to check that out. <clears throat> yeah, you, you, you should. Oh, I, I have heard that to be fair, but yeah, um, the shoes. I like the shoe though. The shoe look, the shoe look great. They're they're expensive though, considering they're yes. they're they're peak, the peak. They're price. peak delis. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of uh, never mind. Anyway, but just compared to him, like I guess like a guy like Delhi, who he is like I would honestly I, I think he is a kind of like a more basketball like what you ver- view a point guard or like what how you view Delhi as this what he could do like play make defend, but he's it's more like he's an outlier to that kind of like how he is built as a person. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is like the evolution, like how Delhi is. Where he, you know, <laughs> the evolution of Delhi just sounded fantastic there. I just thought, I want to imagine so, someone in a lab who has cooked up Malcolm Brogdon. He's, he's uh, Delhi 2.0. I don't know. That, that might be. He's I mean, a more refined, he's a more refined version of Delhi. I, I actually think that, that tandem for the books could prove to be so big for such a long time. Because literally, you've got all of these, like, the timing is perfect all around. Because right now, you pay Delhi what's probably going to be Delhi's biggest contract of his career. And when that contract comes to its end, he's going to probably go to a cheaper deal and Brogdon's going to move up in pay. Yeah. And in the meantime, Brogdon is being paid as a second round pick. They give you like this perfect way to have guys with similar skill sets, whether one's better, more polished than the other, that is immaterial. But to give you this sort of consistent presence at the point guard, or if it's occasionally off ball at the two, 
for what should be a relatively consistent amount of money throughout. That's a real... You can't say they planned it out to go exactly that way this summer, but that seems to be the way it's panning out for the books, and that really is the ideal, particularly if Giannis is your guy, and he's going to have the ball a lot. Yeah, I mean... Again, I I, if, uh, I I don't know. Like I could go into other ways of going about this, but Malcolm Brogdon and how he has, you know, his ceiling compared to, uh, you know, obviously he's one of the was he the oldest rookie this class, right? He had to. Uh, I'm gonna guess so. Yeah. I mean, he's already 24. So, um, again, he might not be. He he certainly doesn't have like the highest ceiling. Um, if you know when if the Bucks become this you know 50 win perennial contender or whatever, you're not going to think of Malcolm Brogdon as this guy that can you know score 15 points a game, hand out like you know eight assists a game or you know these like spectacular numbers or something like that. He fills his role. I mean, not to you know break up that word, but he is the like constant role player for them. That he is such. The like floor of him is so high, and uh, you know the fact that he can do so many things. Not one thing like particularly like stands out, but the fact that he could do so many things really well, like that just suits the Bucks. You know, going forward for such a long period of time, but you know, it's more than just a rookie scale contract. Is the fact that they can extend him and all this stuff. Like, I mean, finding a player like that, like sitting here where we're, you know, this time last year where we're looking like how we're talking about I'll, maybe too much. We're talking about how we, the Bucks can't find that player. Where are they going to find that player? Are they going to have to trade someone? Do they have trade assets? They don't. You know what I mean? Like we were just talking about like trying to find role players to fit around them. And then in one draft, they found him and it was, you know, this guy that, really had no bad marks on his record. Maybe, like, I think he had, like, an injury knock or two, but it was the fact that he's already, he's going to be 24 by December, and, you know, he's he's a sure thing, but what what does that mean in a class that, you know, long-term players could be even better, maybe have not superstar potential, but all, all-star potential, big, you know, high-impact players. And... It, Obviously, Bucks got them, and they're lucky to get them. You know, it's it's gone really well for them so far. The guy who I feel not necessarily it's not not about position, but if we're to say if the books like reach their maximum potential, and it's a case of well, like what kind of guy can Brogdon be, or where does he fit in that picture? I think he can be equivalent to what like. Danny Green was slash is for the Spurs. Yeah, I think that's a really good. I mean, he's a better playmaker already. I'm not, but like, I'm not talking. I know about what you mean. Being skill or in position, I'm just talking about that kind of bonus guy you get to add to your core guys, who's really better than he should be or than you even expected, and that becomes something that's so important for making you a formidable team overall. I, I think he can be that guy. 
part of sometimes looking at here, which is interesting. I know he was asked to do more scoring, but I mean, Brockton's already ahead of his career assist average in college. Like in the NBA, he's at 2.9 assists per game when he had 2.5 per game for his career in Virginia. That's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. To be able to just do that and translate, and he's doing it at better than a 3 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. So it really is hard to find anything bad to say. And if the season was to finish now, he's just under 43% from three. He's at 89.7% from the free throw line. If that was kind of all he did, like to find a guy at 36 in the draft who is a 43% three-point shooter and nearly 90% free throw shooter, that's like, that's a jackpot for that kind of range. So can't ask for much more. One more bit before we move on to predictions in the mailbag. We'll talk about another role player. The role player had some shine this week. Tony Snell. This is one of these, I think this is like now becoming a famed segment where we go. Jordan Tresky has something to say about fill in the blank. But Tony Snell was kind of that guy this week. And for those of you listening, you can probably imagine this if you're a regular listener, but Jordan kind of has an idea of something that maybe we should talk about. But actually getting that idea across is a different it's a different challenge. So Jordan will send me a message like I sort of have something. I guess it's kind of related to Tony Snell, but I don't know how we talk about it. And so, well, that's kind of a problem. You're going to have to explain it to me if we're going to talk about the podcast. So we got there. You're kind of, the thing you want to talk about or you're finding interesting in regards to Tony Snell is tied into what he'd have to do or what he has to become to be maybe a Malcolm Brogdon-esque long-term contributor with the books right yes um obviously the trade i know you alluded to it before but the trade trading mike carl williams for him we talked about it in the past that's pure it was purely a fit uh you know trade it was one of the rare uh it was basically the op the or having the same mentality of the Brandon Knight, Mark Carr Williams trade, where they thought, you know, Mike Carr Williams would be this better fit for the Bucks. Turns out that wasn't the case. And obviously, when that trade happened, it was about, well, Mike Carr Williams is the better player, then why are they, you know, acquiring him or something like that? It gets lost in the point of what they were trying to do, all this stuff. But anyway, when he was first acquired, that was what? It was a week before the season started. So around no more, no more than 10 days anyway, close to that, yeah. Yeah. So around the same time we're hearing all this stuff, we're hearing there were rumblings about a possible contract extension. Obviously he was he's still on his rookie contract. He's expiring now, but there's also this rumbling of like the both sides are interested or something like that. And then obviously that did not turn out to be the case. So 
that brings us to like where we are now. Obviously, being 25 games of, to his time with the Bucks, it's we're seeing a as we've talked about many times before, and kind of like in relation to like you know guys like Miles Plumlee, Tony Snell is the kind of perfect like fill-in player that they could have with you know Middleton down, and he's nowhere near the you know offensive weapon or even possibly even defensively uh, defensive weapon or player that Middleton can be. But he has done really well. He's played his role. He's not, you know, he's shooting like nearly like 30% of threes, which is not ideal, especially at shooting at such a high volume. But I, I feel like enough, we've seen enough, and obviously Rashad Vaughn is not playing hardly ever now. Uh, it's more just, you know, garbage time minutes um, since he's been back from the D-League like the third, second or third time. But the fact that he is the starting shooting guard for the Bucks. And it, you know, I want to say he's now a net positive again, um, even though we're still sitting here saying like, what is he? Obviously, they want to make they want him to be this kind of three and D player. He's a really good defensive player. He is, you know, the length, bother shots. He can play maybe higher than his matchup is. You know what I mean? Like if he's going up against maybe not like an all-star level player, but someone that's on the precipice of, you know, being one, maybe he can, you know, give him a tough time. I don't know, something like that. But it's one of those things where defensively he's, you know, been exactly what they needed, but offensively we are not seeing not even, you know, last year was a bad year for him and it's still not the same. You know what I mean? It's still – down more and obviously his role is a little bit different but I feel like it's interesting to see like obviously there are bigger decisions line or looming over the Bucks. obviously Monroe is definitely the biggest one but a guy like Snell who you know he's still what like 24 25 he's you know getting close to his prime age I guess um, it's interesting to me like what does he have to show to get a, you know, uh, contract extension, and what does that even look like? Obviously, with the new CBA, we'll we'll have more, maybe nuggets about like what they can do, and obviously the salary cap is pretty much set. Well, it's not, uh, it's not could... an extension; it would be he's hitting, he's hitting free agency. Oh yeah, that's right. Sorry, but like, yeah, I guess what uh, to answer that? I think tied into that, I don't think he has to do anything. I think. Like right now, if he's serviceable like he is right now for the rest of the year, I think the Bucks would like to have him back. And that's if he's just serviceable, like in terms of fit, if he plugs that gap, they would like to keep him as a stopgap in case something happens, in case Middleton has setbacks or has a tough time getting back to health or ever gets injured again, whatever that is. But it's all going to be dictated on what his price ends up being on the market. And look, if... I think if he plays as he is right now, he can help the books be effective without necessarily playing well. And I don't know how many how many offers he's going to have coming in. So he could be a guy who's gettable pretty cheap. Now, in that kind of case, chances of getting him on a multi-year deal maybe are slimmer. But like right now, I'd be very surprised if Snell isn't back next year because I think the books could bring him back on a very inexpensive deal. 
I think they'd see the reason they'd he he'd have done enough for the books doing what he's doing right now even poor shooting percentages whatever included i they'd say well you know what we kind of got what we needed to out of that why not have him there as a backup that's a luxury we haven't had and remember that's probably also going to be tied into like i don't know if rashad vaughn becomes something meaningful by the latter part of the season that kind of thing is going to factor in too uh but I don't know. I don't. I don't see how they don't consider him. I think the only way where it gets really difficult is if he if he started shooting like making forty two percent of his trees from now on in, because then he's yeah. gonna be he's gonna end up out of their price range. So I, I in a way, if the rest of the team holds together, I think the less Snell does, the easier it is for him to come back. Nearly. That's not what he's going to want because he's not going to be on a great contract. But I think if it's if it was about like Snell being back on the books ne- next year, I think he doesn't have to do a whole lot for that to happen. In fact, the more positive he does, the lesser the chance of that there is. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they're you know they don't they it's not what I'm trying to illustrate is not like a choice between Rashad Vaughn and Tony Snell. I don't think that's really the case. I think obviously a guy like Jason Terry's on a one-year deal. I I mean, I think we'd all be surprised if he even comes back. I mean, we'd probably be surprised if he doesn't retire. So the fact that they're going to have an open guard spot, Milton comes back, Snell gets put back in a more comfortable role where he's not playing how many minutes he is. I think it's like, here, let me look it up really quick. Uh, he's almost playing 30 minutes a game. I mean, ideally, you probably want him like 21 minutes a game around there. Uh, obviously, a guy like Middleton's probably going to have a higher workload, but still, like, you're not going to want Tony Snell <laughs> like he is playing right now all the time. Broughton's playing 21.3 minutes a game, in my view. That's the kind of range for your yeah. backup guys. Yes. And that the idealized version of the Bucks, as it's currently constructed, that's, that's spot on. Um, but it's just interesting to me, like a guy like Snell, where his role is primarily as you know, a uh, spot of three point shooter, or even occasionally. Now we're actually seeing. I know we joked about this before, like, but the off off the dribble experiment of Tony Snell. Recently, we haven't had you know these kind of like what or what was the one where he it was like a maybe like a one on two situation, and it's like a, if you just pass it out, but he literally just like. <laughs> ran over like took a charge or something like that like it was like maybe like the worst scenario or, or ending to a scenario that you could imagine, I think but. if you give him too like if he's too far out and it's like he's far enough away from the basket that he has to create you're gonna have problems where if it's kind of maybe he spots some open court there's maybe a, a lane o- opens up exactly then he's quick enough, athletic enough, and has enough to be able to get there and finish quite impressively. A little bit further out, and with any sort of challenge, it gets to be a bit of an adventure. Yeah. Um, And that's that's just, you know, really interesting, and I think it kind of goes... uh, I I, I think it weirdly kind of touches on what we've talked about, you know, for how long we have right now. It's... It's kind of like this guy that, you know, his ceiling 
we're not talking about a guy like Jabari. We're, we're maybe not even talking about like a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who probably shouldn't be a second rounder. Tony Snell is a, could be a fine role player. He'll, at best, he's probably maybe like an eighth man on a really good team. If the Bucks are that team and he can fill on a role, he raises up his three-point percentage. He, you know, keeps being a, a solid defender. Uh, you know, I guess gets second guard or second shooting guard minutes um, consistently. All this stuff. Like, I mean, it's one of those things where I. I, I I know this is going to be scary to bring this up, but it's not that it's really not that far off from like what we were talking about with Plumley. Obviously, how we were talking about Plumley now is totally different. But you're you're saying to get Tony Snell fifty-two million dollars, right? Something here. I am not. I am not saying that at all. But I'm just saying this guy that who he fits, even though his limitations are, you know, as a player are pretty. Significant. There's only as high as you can go compared to other guys on the roster. Yeah, you know I mean, so I know it's just an interesting situation. That I think, well, maybe if things get a little better as a shooter or something like that. Like, I'll, honestly, like you said, like if his percentages raise or if he shoots like forty percent for a month, the conversation of Tony Snell starts to get a little, you know, louder. But what he could be, are they going to have to make this big decision? It's not going to be to levels of like where Middleton was almost two years ago, but like it it could be maybe a more uh, or less heightened version of that where it's like what we thought Chris Middleton could be uh, when he first came to the team without that jump. You know what I mean? Like it could be this. I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be really interesting and riding the wave. <laughs> If it, if it gets a little bit better, you know, I don't know, but it's... If it gets too much uh, better, as I said, I, I think it doesn't matter that much because chances are he's gone. And if he's not, then I get really worried. And that's kind of where I am with Beasley right now is that Beasley's playing too good, man. <laughs> he's he's playing too good. He's going to... Someone is going to pay Michael Beasley and nobody knows what that's like on the other end. <laughs> You know, I don't know at this age being the team paying Michael Beasley. That's not that's not a good thing. I don't I don't think so. So I think Beasley's a tricky one already because um, I don't know. Maybe his reputation is just so severe that it's that there's so many teams that just wouldn't touch him regardless. Or maybe he will like being with the books and everything that he now has found in the NBA so much that, you know, for a guy who's bounced around quite as much as he has, if the books were to offer him less than someone else in the summer, but a multi-year contract where he's got real stability, he knows he's not back in China in a year or whatever, that to him might be like, yeah, let's do this. I like this place. I like this team. And... I don't have to go back to China, <laughs> whether that's good China or the other kind of China, as I guess if Bees would put it. But uh, right now, I feel Bees is playing too well. Like when people are tweeting about, like when notable national journalists are like, hey, Michael, Michael Beasley has been good. That's that's not a good sign if you want to bring him back on like a crazy cheap deal. Like they've got him on right now. Mm-hmm. I think Snell is at that point where that crazy cheap deal is in play. 
an improvement from him as well and then oh you could be in this horrible place where save the books do end up with a much better season than maybe even we imagine right now and snell is important and beasley is important in these insane ways we never imagined possible where both guys could be out of price range and remember factoring into this as well i mean if the books make the playoffs big if still but if they do and are anyway competitive and like all it takes is like one even half like a tony snell game or a michael beasley game and you're not getting those guys again some team with more money than sense we call that the solomon hill effect (laughs) a little bit i think it would be yeah i could understand paying solomon hill more than paying tony snell a lot of money Mm -hmm. but yeah look we'll see um I think with both of those guys, it's going to be fun to track. I wouldn't mind a slight Beasley downtrend. Nothing too severe to scare us off, but a slight Beasley downtrend as the season progresses would not upset me all that much because I do feel, even we've talked about, but personality-wise, he's turned into a perfect fit for the books. Oh, yeah. For sure. What that says about the books, I do not know. They, they've had their eye on him for a long time. This is true. Moving on to this week's games. Continuing the freakish trend of home and homes. On Tuesday night, the Cavs come back to the Bradley Center. Scene of the crime. I'm gonna guess. They dethroned the defending champion. I, I gotta guess they're gonna be seeking revenge. Let's I it's it sounds ridiculous, but I, I do not think that this is a game where LeBron is going to be rested for. Yeah. Does that matter though? How do you see the mm. game going? Do does does extra motivation for the Cavs make you feel any differently about how this goes? Or are we at a point now where we've got to consider, you know, the books can kind of get the better of some matchups. Because remember, we're not even just starting this season. They had a win over them last year in the yeah. Bradley Center as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not the best place for the Cavs to come right now. No. No, it is not. Um, uh, I'm not expecting the same result. But then again, I did not expect the same or that the first result – that even happened. Anyway, uh, I'll go Cavs by ten. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go books by six. Uh, I honestly, I don't see why not. Um, I'm I'm getting to a point where, particularly when the books are at home, picking against the books at home is not. I mean, will they lose some and lose some? stupid ones at home sure but all these other things that we've talked about like last week uh we made a big thing out of national tv books and like particularly yanis national tv yanis this seems like something he could get up for and he did as did jabari like they're delivering on those things the big matchups continue to be important for them um they like those games where they can make a statement i honestly don't see what the calves I can't say it like that. It sounds insane. 
<laughs> I don't. I don't see why the books can't beat the Cavs again. I mean, if, I'm not if, talking about like a best of seven playoff series, but in the regular season, I don't see why the Cavs coming into Milwaukee, the books can't beat them. If Jason Terry gets uh, another quote unquote assist by distracting J.R. Smith, I mean. I think Maybe that's the revenge game we really need to worry about. <laughs> J.R. Smith does the same to Jason Terry. It's certainly possible. I was thinking more J.R. Smith goes off for like 40 points, but... Oh, that's true. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I feel I feel good. I think it's an unusual thing, but the fact that we know the books have one of the very best matchups for LeBron every single every single time the two teams play, you've kind of got a chance. It just depends then on what the other guys do for the books and what the other guys do for the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Wednesday night, back to Cleveland, back to the queue. You've got Cavs by 10 for the, for the Bradley Center. What are you going to go for, for the Quicken Loans Arena? Well, we have another road back to back. Currently one and four uh, after the Bulls win. Um, Question on that, because I've been thinking about this. I should have looked at it rather than just think about it and then put you on the spot. <laughs> We've talked a lot about the back to back record for the books. How many times have they won the game leading into the second game of the back to back? Hmm. I don't know. I feel they've been having empty back-to-back trips for a lot of the time. Hawks mm. and Heat was was an empty, empty back-to-back. Yes. Um. Kings Mavericks. Right? Okay, so the first back-to-back season was Nets Pistons. They beat the Nets, lost to the Pistons. Okay, so that's that's one where they won the first, lost the second. Um, Kings Mavericks, okay, won the first loss, the second. My my theory is not holding up well here. Uh, <laughs> Hawks, he lost both. Uh, what's the next back to back? Hawks, Wizards lost both. Mm. So we're three and two, right? Where Earth, there's been three back-to-backs where they've won one, one, and lost one, and then there's been two where they lost both. Yes. Which I think puts a little bit of a different spin on that stat. Yeah. I also think, like, uh, it's kind of easy to say that, but if you have a back-to-back and, okay, you have the Nets and the Pistons, you beat the Nets, lose to the Pistons in the second game. It's like, okay, if those games are reversed and you beat the Pistons, you might beat the Nets, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Then Kings and Mavs, I feel even counting that as one, like you can't put that game down to being second game of back-to-back on the road. That was just complete shutdown. (laughs) That was was 75 points after an overtime period. The game of the Heat, they... they laid an egg against the Heat, but that really started the night before against the Hawks. Mm-hmm. I don't even feel like that was the effects of the back-to-back as much as the Monroe. They kind of got into a negative place, right? 
Yeah. So I I think there's a like there's a way to oversimplify it. The same applies for the Hawks Wizards, the recent one. Once again, they blow it against the Hawks. So and blow a similarly you know lead. Not as big against the Wizards, but even getting in the right like frame of mind to come back the next night and win. It's not like they're feeling the effects of the back-to-back as much as they're feeling the effects of how the game the night before went. Yeah. So, so for me, like that's the last week. I, I predicted the books to win both because I feel if they win the first one, it doesn't necessarily mean the second game of it's going to be a no-show. If they, I think this team, when this team has confidence, they can do anything. Where if they start to doubt themselves for a second, they can fall apart very quickly. That's the perils of being a young, good <laughs> plug. Um, to answer the question, I will go. Yeah, I want to flip it, flop it around because maybe the Cavs rest players. I know we're touching on a sensitive topic. <laughs> not really. We're not doing that because it's no, we gotta bring it up. No, uh, I don't know. Uh, I want to go Bucks by. You're four. a crazy person. I did. That wasn't. You. Thank you. The purpose of that exercise was not for me to convince you to go books in the second game. Um, well, that's I'm, what happened. I'm going Cavs by seven. I, I think I think the books will be close again, but there is no way I am picking the books to beat the defending champions on the road on the second night of a back-to-back. I'll leave Jordan all on his own with that one. It's an island I will protect with all. I will be like Tom Hanks and I will have a bloody print on a volleyball that I will find. But this time I will, I will name it Bees. Uh, bees. There we go. On Friday, the book's final game before their three day break for the holidays. Back at home to face the Washington Wizards. Um, promises to be. Bucks Wizards, yeah. a horrible game. And <laughs> um, like all Bucks Wizards, it brings out the worst in the books, and the Wizards are, but they bring out the worst in themselves. So, what's your feeling on this one? Are the books going into Christmas filled with festive joy? I will call this game the cornucopia. No, that's a Thanksgiving thing. Oh. Wow, we blew it. We blew it. Um. Uh, I need to think of a I can't. I don't have enough time. Um, I will go Bucks by eleven. I think they they exact revenge on the Washington Wizards, who actually played a little better as of late. Yeah, they, I think they won tonight. I know John John Wall had seven steals anyway. Um, Bradley Beal had like forty one. That's Clippers too. Clippers. Now you're making me. Now you're making me doubt myself. I don't like. I've said this before when they played the Blazers, and I know they ultimately got away with it in that game. But I think we caught a glimpse of why that's not necessarily ideal. Um, I don't like the idea of the books against like dual threat scoring backcourts, particularly when Tony Snell is the two smaller backcourts. It's not even a reflection on Tony Snell as much as the difference in size. I just don't feel they're good matchups for him. Well, he's looking in the mirror. He doesn't like the reflection that's looking back. I don't know. It's, I'm it's still, a weird reflection. 
I'm not letting you put me off with your Bradley Beal 41 points. He could he could be injured. I picked up Bucks to win. By that. Yeah, I know, but you've then put negative thoughts in my mind. I got Bucks by 14. So we're both going a two and one week for the Bucks, which would have them two games above 500 at Christmas. Yes, it would. How about it? I mean, even if it's one and two, I, I, we both feel confident to beat the the Wizards. This was a question a few weeks back. I, I think it was Tim Ray uh, who mm-hmm. who asked us, "Would they be five hundred at Christmas?" I mean, our mate, <laughs> our mate. Yeah, uh, they can lose twice to the Cavs, beat the Wizards, and our five hundred team at Christmas, which progress. They're on that legendary pace. For 500 season. That's something to hang your hat on while you're having your Christmas ham. You talk with all the family about how great it is that the books are back where they belong at 500. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the mailbag. The first one from at Alex underscore Koenig 23. It's understandable the young team struggling on the road, but you would think they would perform better on the second night of a back-to-back. Why did a book struggle? Can the Bulls game be interpreted as a turning point? And regardless, what made it different to the other four? Hmm. Um, is that really... Again, talking about back-to-backs, I think it's interesting. Um, I know John Schumann of NBA.com, he did his uh, uh, what is it? three... One team, one, three stats. Stat. highlighted on three stats, yeah. And the second one was the disparity of how Bucks play at home compared to road. The back-to-backs are kind of like a bit like a, I guess the highlight of like just how much of a different team they are on the road. And his example was Del or Delhi, where his you know his shooting has gone down. His um. What was the other stand? I can't remember. He includes something else, but his shooting was like way down compared to was or where it is um, when the Bucks play at home. So it's not necessarily just the Bucks being a young team. It's the, it's the fact that a guy like Delhi, who you know this the role the supporting cast, he's a, a figure of, of the Bucks supporting cast. His production is vastly different to where when they play at home. So it's not necessarily about you know how Giannis and Jabari play. On the road, because I don't. I mean, they probably they're more of the tougher Giannis games, or more quieter, or uh, you know, games where he gets in foul trouble or something like that. Uh, I feel like those. Uh, which, are I don't know. They could come on the road because of pressure. Well, that's what I say. I think I I want to say like the Mavericks game for sure was the Wizards game like that. Maybe not. Heat game was definitely like that. Um, but yeah, the, those types of games have. Have felt like they caught on the road, but it's it's the players around them that I feel like are having a different, uh, you know, again, Delia is an example. They they're not playing up to the standards as they are when they're at home. So I don't know. I, again, that kind of makes sense. Though, really, that's not. I don't even think that's young team, right? If you're any team, like this is why there is a home advantage and there's a road disadvantage. It's not about your Yanis's and Jabari's performing to their level. It's your guys who aren't quite at that level. They're kind of just above average or below average or perfectly average. 
which is very fitting when they're on the books. But <laughs> they're the guys who are going to struggle more when you take the home advantages away. Where, I mean, if you're not at that next level to begin with, then when you factor in traveling, maybe you're not getting quite as many calls from the officials, you're in a hostile environment, unless you're playing in Washington, you know, then it's not, it's not really to be expected for those guys to shine consistently. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel that, like, it's important. We're talking about me one on four. A five-game sample size is not the best thing to jump to any conclusions over. Like, the books could beat the Cavs on the second night of the back-to-back, like Jordan has predicted. And all of a sudden, like, we start to throw a lot of this stuff out the window. They'll have beaten the Bulls and the Cavs, which are some of the better teams when we're looking at who they've lost to on back-to-backs. Without a doubt, I mean, we're talking about the Heat and the Mavericks, the terrible teams the books have lost in second night of back-to-backs. So I feel it's too soon to draw into, like, that the reason for those games and those results is because it's the second night of a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. There's still need for a slightly wider sample size. It's too early at the same the same token to say that the Bulls game could be interpreted as a turning point, but I think why it was different it was different for two reasons. One, the books came in super confident based on the night before. And possibly the whole TNT thing gave an added boost to that. And secondly, the Bulls were terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the books can be bad on a second eye of the book of a back to back. And you said a book to book. Um, but if they play teams as bad as the Bulls were, well, then it won't matter. They'll win. What was the. I know uh, Steve Ashburner, uh, I mean, that comment, I think he had a stat where it was like, Bulls only left like two minutes. I, I actually, of, it might even have been slightly games. less than that in, two, in both games. And he had the overall margin, which would have been probably 33 points between the two games. But even at that, when you think of how the first game ended up closer than it should have been. Yeah. I mean, it could easily have been pushing 50 points for the margin between both games. And mm. that's with the books not having kicked on even in the second game because they were so comfortable. They were just able to sort of sit there. So it wasn't it wasn't even a contest. I, I nearly tweeted something out during the second game that this was like the books in a scrimmage against a D-League team. I decided not to do it as I felt it sounded disrespectful to a D-League team. They were just... There was nothing about the Bulls that was yeah, positive. Nothing inspired at all. No. So um, we'll find out as time goes on whether that's why they won that one or whatever it is, but probably still a little too soon. Once again, from at Alex underscore Koenig, 0-2-3, almost a third of the way through the season. Yanis for first team all defense, like Jet predicted. Mm. I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, the this this is something that quite bothered me this week. Um, Mark Stein did his his pieces and some of his, his award ballots, and uh, he highlighted Yanis as leading MIP candidate. He also mentioned, oh, he's a legitimate sort of could legitimately be considered for defense, but there there was this thing that I. It makes me feel nauseous. I don't. 
I don't know why it exists, but I've seen it from a few writers. I've seen it about the place that like there's this this feeling and this surge that you know this is Draymond Green's award to lose and Draymond really deserves this and it kind of confuses me a little bit. I don't I don't know why we'd be making those assertions just yet. Like I I I know the thing that sort of gets given to it is he's had signature defensive plays. He's had game-winning defensive plays. Well, if we're being honest about it, I think we can be because one of them involved the books. He didn't really do anything against the books as much as the books gave him the ball. I want to say that was a Tony Snell inbounds pass, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, which... At the million dollars, Dr. Fair in the next conference? No. <laughs> which, which triggered us to debate inbound at great lengths in the podcast to follow that one. Literally, he's a very long defender. He just threw the ball in yeah. Draymond Green's direction. And now that's being touted as a signature game-winning steal. <laughs> Come on. Draymond is averaging 2.2 steals, 1.4 blocks a game. Great numbers. Yanis is at 2.1 steals, 2.0 blocks. Obviously, more than just your per game steals and blocks goes into this. It's not like the books are a bad defensive team, though. I don't feel the Warriors like we should play too much into. Oh, you know, but the Warriors, uh, what they're doing, they're they're a better team, and it, it matters more. I'll, that's all crap, really. I'm like, I, Giannis should be a real contender for Defensive Player of the Year. For context, right? Defensive rating for the Warriors, 101.7. For the Bucks, 102.4. I mean, what, we're splitting hairs here, really. Uh, for Giannis, defensive rating of 1005 I have no idea, but I might be pleasantly surprised now when I do this. Um, for Mr. Draymond Green, 101.7. He's the worst defensive rating. Draymond Green, defensive box plus minus, 4.8. I'm dicing with danger here. I don't, I don't know what I'm finding. Uh, Giannis, 5.1. Why is there this surge of support for Draymond Green, defensive player of the year? I don't know. It really, really irks me that that's something that's being talked about. Um, let's get back to talking about him kicking guys in the balls. I mean, <laughs> seriously, this is just there's there's no reason for that to be the talk point. You know, last year, last year I feel he had a, maybe a better case. I don't know, but. Uh, what was the question? Yeah, Yana's first team all defense. I think Draymond, because we seem to be penciling him in, that's a big obstacle. You're looking at one more spot, and that's Kawhi's. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's not even factoring LeBron, too. Who knows where he could be? LeBron, uh, guys like Tony Allen. Tony Allen must get legacy <laughs> defensive votes, <laughs> even. Um, he's the Carmelo Anthony of the old defense team. So, 
for me, Yanis should be right at the forefront of Defensive Player of the Year conversation right now. I think I've done a nice job there just by chance, but my instincts were right of demonstrating that. So, yeah, let's that's that's make some noise about that. That's I I advise against tweeting anything because I know Draymond Green's mother might come at you or something. Like that. <laughs> but Yanis is right there. Probably should be. I feel like Jet was right, but whether whether the ballots let Jet down, that's a that's a different question. I don't know if you have anything on that. I've talked for a long time there, Jordan. Did you enjoy no, my, my one man argument? No, I no, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Is yeah. I just I'm getting I don't want to get into this greatly, but I'm just getting very award fatigued. I feel like this last week I saw a lot of it's, it's too early to talk about it. It's all. too early. It, we haven't all-star voting hasn't even begun. We're talking about Yadis is a dark. I'm not this. Is I, not guess, a I get it, though. I get right why we're talking about it because, like, I mean, a books player winning an award, super big deal. Oh yes. I don't get, for example, why like Mark Stein is doing those pieces right now. Like why why you can't really write about? I know he's not. I've seen a why, lot of like why you can write about Draymond like that right now. It's like it's it's just past a quarter of the season. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. It's I don't know I and it just like the MVP talk like I there's been a lot of great I I understand the point of what people are trying to make these guys are never gonna win MVP but they're doing like you know his you know, heroic performances for their team like Marcus or even Giannis but let's just let's it's not that's not gonna happen there's four MVP candidates. And we all know who they are, and it's going to be between them, those four. And then whoever squeaks in as the fifth guy, I, they will be the fifth guy. You yeah, I mean? you like, you've just... got your four, and then you've got insert Yanis, Marcus, Gasol, whoever here. Like, yeah, it's like I, let's let's get to the All Star break. I I'm much more comfortable when it's the All Star break. There's a week of trying to process what we have seen saw for the first you know three and a half months of the season. It's December, whatever. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why this is like turned on me just like <laughs> I don't know. You brought it I thought I brought it in a weird direction. You brought it in a weirder direction. I just want yeah. I just want to appreciate for let's get let's get all star. That's what I'm focusing on. So you want Smash an all star said it bad. Said it best. I I said that wrong. <laughs> they say said it bad? I, I think so, which I uh, may have said that too. I don't know. Um, Burlow, that's a bad place. Does it, would an all-star, does an all-star matter more to you than the award? If you well, could only have yeah, for right now. It's not no, I'm just not, just it's generally, like, not because it's closer and whatever. Generally, at the end of the year, if you've got one or the other, does an all-star matter more to you than an award? Obviously, if it's like, it might depend on the award, but I feel I feel most improved for Yanis is kind of it's nice he'll have won an award, but it's also kind of empty. I, if he made, I, I don't an, know. Actually, I think I I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say that because he was a part of the ballot the last two years. No, I, I, his, 
I know. It, I'm it's not a different context. Yeah, I'm not questioning the improvement because whatever he did improve those years, but this improvement is an even bigger jump again. Mm-hmm. And it's it's most improved player. Like there isn't technically a point that stops off of. So it doesn't matter if you're improving upon improvement. If your improvement was the biggest of all of the guys in the league, but I just feel like I don't know defensive player of the year. You're saying like right, okay. Best yeah, defender in the league. That's that is a big deal. I That's find a big most deal. I find most approved getting... a little trickier to get excited about because I guess the lines are a little bit more blurred in who qualifies and why, and then some people will not give him votes because they're like, "Oh, he was there." Sort of, he improved last year after the All Star break, and you know, it's it's not as clear cut as defensive player of the year. Yeah, and even I mean. I personally, below most improved player, this is not my view of the award. It's the collective view of all NBA. It's the, the lack of clarity get, on it. Yeah, the fact, that, the fact that people get so riled up for Kobe Bryant getting voted into the All-Star game, which was a mistake. It's obviously based on fan voting. But that gets more play than, you know, when a guy deserves all NBA credit, gets it. Yeah, I mean, like we talk about Andrew Bogart is like the biggest biggest example who a guy who didn't get All Star, but you know, All Star birth or anything like that. But he got a thirteen all thirteen All NBA. No one talks about it unless if it's a Bucks fan that you know hasn't seen a lot of awards lately. You know what I mean? Like it's just one of those things where at a bar with Oprah's Bella and you're like, yeah, man, remember the good old days when Andrew Bogart was thirteen. All and NBA. I turn around and I say, why didn't you get 13 All-NBA? <laughs> really, though, that is a bigger that is a bigger deal. That is a bigger deal, but it's not. It's not. No, but it is. Come on, if you're real. I know no, it's... no, no, but it's not treated as such. I know. It should be I a know. bigger deal than what it is. That's the problem. But it's more egregious I... when a guy doesn't get rewarded there because, if anything, like the awards should be... They're but like you remember, fa- you they're remember like the failsafe, gets- though, for if the fans do something insane at the All-Star game, right? It should be like, okay, well, the fans are crazy, but yeah. the journalists, they, they shouldn't be crazy. And then most years it turns out, yeah, well, there there is at but least they- a handful of certifiably insane journalists as well. But even then, like, I mean, there are still, I don't know. I, again, this is we're going off far off topic, but like... Even then, like there's stuff like, did it Zaza get all NBA team vote two years ago? Did, am I not crazy? What? No, all defensive team. Yeah, a he vote. Team, all defense. He maybe got one vote. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, it's one vote that more. I don't think anybody expected him to get a vote that year. I'm just saying, there's. Well, he I was an All Star last year, Jordan. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> moving See, on. People remember that more than his vote. Getting, you know, I'm sure I, I, I don't. I have no issue with that. He was nearly an all star, and it did. I know. Yeah. I'm not complaining being about that. I'm just saying that starter, so no. much more than. I'm, I'm joking, but being a starter would have been insane. But his play kind of almost merited him, like sneaking in yes. at, the, at the back end of that team last year, where one, if he makes a defensive team, oh well. I mean, let's build a statue. That's incredible, mm-hmm. but. One vote, George. I have one in my backyard. Can you, like, I don't, it might be a, an expensive process, but can we work on you sending me your Zaza statue for your backyard? Maybe. Okay. I don't have one. That's disappointing. 
from uh, Metastic. I don't have marble. Um, um, Would you rather win 20 in a row, followed by losing 20 in a row, or win-lose every other game for 40 games? The latter. Because that's what... That is what's kind of happening right now. <laughs> That's perfectly average, right? Perfectly average. Both are, but I mean, one feels more perfectly average than the other. Yeah. There's a third option here as well. Um, I'd put would the one I'd rank last of my preferences would be winning twenty in a row to then lose twenty in a row, because your expectations being up there to fall in that way is. I don't think you can recover from that. Um, alternating. That's probably the best. Uh, you know, it might not be. The best might be losing 20 in a row, giving up all hope, only to come back and win the next 20. That's the stuff of legend. Yeah, but then people are like, they should have tanked. Why didn't they tank? <laughs> You're too beaten down by books fandom, Jordan. Yeah. It's the a next, way of life. The next one from Maddie Ice 2-ish. Due to the Jabari's defense, when Chris comes back, could we consider taking Jabari out and putting in Brogdon or Snell when the books are trying to protect the lead? My, my, my reply to this is the best form of defense is offense. I don't like it's Maybe if it's one possession? Well, I didn't know we had John Wood in here. I mean, uh... Maybe if it's one possession, that's fine. But any more than that, I mean, you don't just want to stop. You want to score as well. I mean, if you keep scoring, they're not going to... If you've got a lead, you keep scoring. At the end of a game, time's got to run out. You're going to win. This this comes maybe for me, it's like... It's a soccer thing where there's something really dangerous outside of playing for a draw. Park the bus. Yeah, a little bit of that. But you'll often have, say, the Champions League... In the group stages, a team might only need, uh, you know what? A draw gets them through. Draw the last game, through to the next round. And, like, not even nine times out of ten, 99 times out of 100, if they go out there and they're like, yeah, we're just going to play for a draw. That's all we need to do. They're going to lose, and they're not going to go through. Or if you go out and you try to win, you know, it could be a draw and you get the job done. And I, I feel that kind of applies there, where... Sure, you could sacrifice Jabari for defense, but there's still a chance that the other team have better offense, they score, and there, of course, there's variables. It depends on your timeout situation, but if you couldn't have timeouts, then, well, they score, you don't score. Is that more costly? It's also probably not good to kind of excuse him from those situations, is it? Probably not. I mean, I, my answer same. I mean, yeah. Uh, Do you feel like, – can you think of an example where Jabari's defense has cost the books a game? No, not single-handedly. No, which is fascinating because you'd swear it cost them, like, countless games. For all those moments, like, that we can highlight in the second quarter of – a game where it's, I mean, it's irrelevant. People don't care if they're up by 20 or down by 20. It's like, look at Jabari's defense. There hasn't been one where it's like, end the game, 
Jabari gets lost like that and someone gets an open layup to win it. Well, that's that there. I mean, that's funny that you bring that up because they're talking about uh, going back to what we we're talking about with Jabari. I saw the Vine, I didn't see the game live, but the how the Rockets came back to win or to tie the game. Sorry, it was or it was not, it wasn't to tie the game, but it was like this they're down by six, they have to hit a three. There's like 30 seconds left or something like that. Uh, Ryan Anderson shoots it. There's supposed to be like a switch. Andrew Wiggins is supposed to switch on to Ryan Anderson. Completely lost in no man's land. Like that is a play where if you watch that, you're like, oh, that's – it's not necessarily the possession that, you know, ties the game. It opened the door wide again, though. Exactly. It gets a little bit, you know, wider, like you said. So, I mean – Nothing really comes to mind. It's again like these examples of like, you know, it's the Raptors game, uh, and I don't know someone, you know, Terrence Ross hits a three and he forgot to rotate over or something like that. Or who? Yeah, I mean, it's in that game. It, it, I would have been like lying face down on the floor at that point. Oh yeah, two first name Terry. Uh, that unfortunately gets me every time. I really need to stop giving Jordan any laugh for that. But it's a good nickname. My dream, by the way, that's a is to get a nickname dream. on Basketball Reference. I seriously, I might retire if that happens. Retire, <laughs> like this is an official. <laughs> God, <laughs> what is wrong with me? Uh, uh, look, retire from is that like. Is that retire from blogging? Retire from puns? Retire from life? Or are you just gonna you're just gonna put your feet up? I guess I'll and, keep everyone into type and slippers, house. and you're just gonna be like, "Yeah, two first name Terry." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just imagine team two first name Terry. That's funny. That is really funny. Everybody laugh. The next one from Eddie Batum. John Henson has been playing solid over the past week. If he's able to continue, is he the best center option? It's more than a week now. I'd say that much before we answer it. It's been since he started being the starting lineup. His net rating is still negative, but it's it was minus four point something. It's now down to minus two point one. Slowly but surely, John Henson, the tortoise. After yeah, after Henson. Because, I mean, you've got Jabari and Henson are both negative at the moment. Jabari's minus 1.4, I think. Uh, but after Henson, like, it's fall off a cliff stuff in terms of the next books in net rating. But, um, I don't know, best center option? <sighs> so tricky to... Monroe is their best center by a long way right now. Matchup-wise, I think that's what it is. You know what I mean? Well, besides, Monroe's their best center by a long way, but they can't start Monroe. We know that, so. Yeah. Best center option in some way. I mean, depending on the situation, the books could have, like, <laughs> the yeah, books could literally have, the books could literally have three different best center options. Yeah. Um, I guess but, all that matters is the fact that we're seeing a consistent John Henson and the fact that we can say he's been, uh, Make an argument for it that he has been uh, the team's best center option is very good. Best to... best starting center option. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think the best way of putting it is the whole rotation is 
balanced best when Henson is the starting center. Yes, I find it for hard sure. to I find it hard to dive into the like best center option because Monroe has been the best center, but he's doing that in a very specific role as a part of the second unit, and we know that to put him into the first unit is not a good idea. So mm. he's the best center, but with Henson as a starter, that he's been positive, so it plays into balancing the whole thing. Um, which is maybe the most important thing. Henson is providing the book some some kind of equilibrium right now. Last one from a David Dunn 21. Given Jabari's pro moose comments, who was, and I quote, if I surpass some people who aren't in the gym 24 7, end quote, about Henson. Yanis, Middleton, or other. I should give some fill in the blanks really here for anyone who isn't fully on top of this. Um, we'll start off with the original comments, the one that David Dunn 21 is asking us, who was it about? This came in exit interviews last year, um, the morning after the books had been bludgeoned by the Pacers in a pretty lifeless performance end season. Jabari was kind of asked about it, his plans for a healthy offseason, and he said, I know for myself, I'm going to get better. I'm going to be in the gym 24-7, not in the beginning, but down the line. I'm going to let my body recuperate and let my joints heal, but I know that I have a plan of what I want to do. And if I happen to surpass some people on my team and they don't have that same mentality, so be it. But I know individually where I want to be. So was Jabari end of last season. Jabari. Uh, what game Thursday night. After? Thursday night. Um, as reported by Matt Velasquez, the Journal Sentinel. I quote, I love playing with Greg. I know what he does for our team. He can be a scorer and he can be a contributor. Sometimes you overlook him. I think the media and you guys don't give him enough credit. Greg Monroe is somebody I idolize and I really cherish as a teammate. We speculated at the time, which wasn't really... It wasn't really going out on a limb that the end-of-season quote was probably about Monroe. Who do you feel it was about? Get off the fence, Jordan. Come on. I know, but hmm. speculation. This is just speculation. Talking in English. I don't know. <laughs> I I think it was about Monroe. I honestly, it doesn't change anything for me. If anything, well, it, think about the think about the really, name, the players that were that have left. English, JLB, Bayless. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe there's one guy I thought of. OJ Mayo could have been a guy. There was you know there were things we didn't know at that time, um, yes. where now that we know, there's okay, there could be context for say stuff about guys like that. He could be one example. 
I still, I still think it was Moose. I think, and if it was Moose, it kind of rings true to everything Jabari is, and that's like holding teammates accountable. Remember accountability, our buzzword of last season. For me, he is the guy who he'll sort of, if you're not doing what you should be doing, he'll kind of leave a line out there that you'd get the message. I think Moose has been great. We all say that. So am I surprised that Jabari idolizes and cherishes Greg Monroe? Not really. That's, I mean, that's who Jabari is. I think he, he wants all 15 guys to be giving Greg Monroe level effort be playing on both ends of the balls and saying, eh, but this is this is real, like Greg Monroe. And I don't know, I still feel it could be, it could have been Jabari talking about Monroe and Bode again. Hey, who knows? Maybe it was Steve Novak, even though he had a, you know, spraying FCL. He wasn't bringing it for you. Is he bringing it now? That's it for this week's podcast. Next week, we record these podcasts on Sunday evening, as most of you will know who sent us mailbag questions. And when next Sunday being Christmas Day, things are going to be a little bit different. We contemplated just leaving you winning sixless for a week. And then we realized that there was a very high chance that none of you would come back if we did that. <laughs> so to guard against that, Next week's podcast will be recorded on Friday night, immediately after the Wizards game. We will flag it up on Twitter. We'll be looking for mailbag questions. We'll probably do some sort of brief general overview of where the books are at. Go through your mailbag, and you can expect that episode to drop for you on Christmas Day, something you can, you can tuck into post-Christmas dinner confined in your stocking along with the oranges or various fruit that may be at the bottom to fill it out. I know that when I have my Christmas dinner, there is nothing that will help me digest that food any easier than listening to Jordan Tresky talk books basketball. And Christmas. And Christmas, he's promised. So I know Jordan's going to bring his Christmas takes next week. I'll have a top 10 list. This will not happen. I, I've said too much already. Can you at least promise you'll wear like a, a Christmas hat? Maybe. Okay. So come back on Christmas Day when Jordan may or may not be wearing a Christmas hat. In the meantime, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Stitcher, add us on SoundCloud. Follow all of our work at BehindTheBookPass.com. And see as we won't, we won't talk to you until then. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to all you and yours from myself and Jordan. Thanks for listening. We will be back soon. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.